Good evening, everyone. The November 28th, 2017 Loudoun County Planning Commission public hearing will now come to order. As is our custom, let's stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Any member of the public who wishes to speak for or against any item on the agenda this evening may do so. We request that you sign up with the secretary who sits at the end of the days to my left. Please complete a speaker slip indicating your name and which item you would like to address. Speakers may not speak on behalf of another individual. If you have a speech for someone who is not in attendance, you may present that to the secretary and she will make copies for the planning commission. Letters may also be presented in advance and can be emailed to the Planning Commission at loudonpc at loudon.gov. In the interest of fairness, we ask that speakers observe the three-minute time limit. You may speak at either podium, and for multiple speakers, alternating the podium speeds the entire process up. The speakers' podiums will digitally display your remaining time. At the end of your three minutes, we would appreciate you summing up and yielding the floor. Individuals who identify themselves as representatives of citizens, organizations, or civic associations may speak for six minutes, provided that they submit a letter from the organization authorizing that individual to speak on their behalf. I would also like to remind all applicants to present the certification of notice to the recording secretary who sits at the end of the days before the public hearing starts on each application. Our procedure for public hearings are as follows. First, staff will make a presentation. Then the applicant will make a presentation. The Planning Commission may ask questions uh, of either uh, party at that time. Public comments will then be taken. After the public comment, the applicant may take up to five minutes for further comment or response. Staff may then also provide a response. The Planning Commission public hearing starts at 6 p.m. It is the Planning Commission's policy not to take up any new items after 11.30 p.m. and the public hearing will adjourn no later than 12 a.m. The first item on tonight's agenda are disclosures. Mr. Lloyd. This evening, I, this evening I spoke with Kevin McWater from Walsh Colucci on the Guilford Station uh, North and South application. That's all, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lloyd. Mr. Sisley. I have one conversation to schedule a meeting. The meeting never happened during um, the period, so Basically, no disclosures. Very well. Thank you. Commissioner Kears. On uh, November 14th, uh, I met with uh, applicant representatives for the Guilford North and South uh, applications. November 22nd, I had a phone conversation with Kim Van Hise regarding the Ashburn Child Care uh, work session application. November 27th, I uh, met with the applicant's representative regarding Bowmead 32A and 1A. And also on the 27th, I met with uh, the applicant and representatives regarding the Quantum Park application. Thank you, Mr. Kears. Mr. Jennings. Thank you. On the 17th, <clears throat> I exchanged emails with Sarah Howard O'Brien regarding the uh, new elementary school and the storage facility. <clears throat> on the 21st, I met with Kevin Border, Andrew Saul, Chris, and Chris Lechner regarding Guilford Station North and South, special exceptions. Uh, on the 27th, met with Molly Novotny, and representative and owner for the Quantum Park, <coughs> ZCPA and ZMOD, and BOMED, um, ZRTD. 
And this morning I had a telephone conversation with Kim Heiss regarding Ashburn Road Child Care and the upcoming public meeting. That's it. Thank you, Mr. Jennings. Commissioner Blackburn. On November 15th, I met with representatives for the applications for North and South Guilford. On November 21st, I met with representatives for Quantum Park and Bowmead, along with Supervisor Volpe. On 11-27, I met with uh, representatives for the Ashburn Road Child Care Center. Thank you, Commissioner Blackburn. Commissioner Priscilla? None. Thank you, Commissioner Priscilla. Commissioner Shield. On uh, November 17th, I met with uh, Bill Hatch in regard to the Envision plan. On the 22nd, I met with the applicant and Ms. Gleckner in regard to Guilford Station. On the 21st and 28th, I spoke with Chris Giroux in regard to uh, proposed daycare at the uh, northeast corner of Foxfield Lane and Route 15. And on November 21st, I met with uh, William Ray, R-A-Y, in regard to the Envision plan. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shield. Commissioner Barnes? None. Thank you, Commissioner Barnes. On... Tuesday, November 14th, I met with Kevin McWhorter and Chris Kleckner regarding Guilford Station North and South. On Thursday, uh, November 16th, I met with uh, Steve Schulte and Colleen Gillis regarding the Silver District West application. On Tuesday, November 21st, I met with um, Colleen Gillis, Daniel Stevens, and Molly Novotny to discuss uh, Quantum Park application, Bowmead application, and Quarry, Quarry Commerce Center's application as well. On Monday, uh, November 27th, I had a telephone conversation uh, regarding the Ashburn Child Care uh, with Kim Heiss. On uh, Tuesday, November 28th, I had a telephone conversation with Steve Schulte and Colleen Gillis regarding the Silver District West application. And that concludes our disclosures. Um, the first item on the agenda uh, is the review and renewal modification or termination of the Beaver Dam Valley Agricultural and Forestal District in the Blue Ridge District. Mr. Wanzek, welcome. Good evening, Chair Salmon and Commissioners. very brief um, presentation to make for you. The Beaver Dam Valley Agricultural and Forestal District is currently um, with, within a period of 10 years that expires in June of 2018. Um, there are 63 parcels in the district located to the northwest of the town of Middleburg with approximately 2,728 acres in the district. Um, staff is recommending that uh, 55 parcels be renewed with the district's renewal. Um, eight parcels fail to follow proper procedures and submit applications um, to renew in the, in the district. The 
As I stated, the district is currently within a 10-year period. Um, the Agricultural District Advisory Committee at their meeting in August recommends that the district be renewed for six years, um, reasoning that there would be less effort on the part of landowners um, to have to submit applications for parcels between five and 20 acres, and that it would also match the um, time that the land use program administered by the assessor's office is in existence. Staff um, present, made a presentation to the Transportation Land Use Committee in last January and found that there's greater efficiency for staff resources and advisory committees and the board with a four-year period um, in terms of grouping districts together for review and renewal, um, that there would be only seven groupings in a four-year period as opposed to um, nine for any other length period. Also, with there's greater accuracy in maintaining land use records. Um, property changes hands. There are many um, longtime property owners in western Loudoun County who are um, considering selling their land, or, and it's harder to get keep records for the current owners to get in touch with them in case renewal applications are required. Um, that completes my uh, presentation, and again, the staff is recommending four years. The ADAC recommends a six-year period. Great. Thank you, Rudy. Um, are there any members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Um, are there any questions for uh, staff on this application? Seeing none, this is in the Blue Ridge District. Mr. Priscilla. Mr. Chairman, um, the only thing I'll say is I noticed um, the ADAC recommended six for this one, but four for the next. I like the idea of consistency. I'm not sure why they would be so different. But Is that a question that no, you'd that's like the staff statement. to answer, or you're just going to make a decision? I was going to make the decision. Okay. I was accused of not saying much. So, <laughs> I move that the Planning Commission recommend to the Board of Supervisors that it renew the Beaver Dam Valley Agricultural and Forestal District to include only those parcels listed as number 1 through 55 in attachment 1 entitled Beaver Dam Valley Proposed Renewal Recommendations to the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission public hearing item to modify the conditions of the Beaver Dam Valley Agricultural and Forestal District to provide that the period before the next review of the district shall be four years and to continue to require any subdivisions or adjustments to the parcels enrolled in the district to meet the current zoning ordinance requirements or a minimum of um, or a minimum or 50 acres whichever is greater and prohibit subdivision through clustering and i further move that the planning commission's recommendation be based on the finding that all parcels recommended for renewal within the beaver dam valley agricultural and forestal districts contain agriculturally and forestally significant land second seconded by commissioner sicily any questions comments all in favor aye Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 9-0. Thank you. Our next application is review and renewal, modification or termination of the new Oak Hill Agricultural and Forestal Districts.
Okay, good evening again, Mr. Chairman and Commissioners. Um, much of the information that I said for the first district applies for this one. Um, this district currently um, is located and currently has a four-year period. It's located north of Route 50 and west of Route 15. Um, there are 12 parcels in the district uh, with approximately 526 acres. Um, both the ADAC and the staff recommend renewal for a four-year period to end in uh, 2022 um, for 11 parcels. Uh, one landowner um, was required to submit a management plan and did not submit it. However, they also indicated that they didn't want to uh, renew the property in the district. So rather than submitting a withdrawal, they just did not submit the renewal. Um, we're available for any questions. Thank you, Mr. Iwanzuk. Any questions on this application? Are there any members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Mr. Priscilla, I believe this is also in the Blue Ridge District. Mr. Chairman, I move that the Planning Commission recommend that the Board of Supervisors renew the new Oak Hill Agricultural and Forestal District to include only those parcels listed as number 1 through 11 in Attachment 1 entitled New Oak Hill Proposed Renewal Recommendations to the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission Public Hearing Item with the same period before the next review of the district of four years and to continue to require any subdivisions or adjustments to parcels enrolled in the district to meet the current zoning ordinance requirements or a minimum or 40 acres, whichever is greater, and prohibit subdivision through clustering. And I further move that the Planning Commission's recommendation be based on the finding that all parcels recommended for renewal within the new Oak Hill Agricultural and Forestal Districts contain agriculturally and forestally significant land. Second. Seconded by Commissioner Sisley. Any comments? Seeing none, all in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 9-0. Great. Um, our next application is, let me take a deep breath, CPAM 2017-0001, Proposed Comprehensive Plan Amendment to amend the Keynote Employment Center Policies of Chapter 6 of the Revised General Plan in regards to amending the building setback and landing and landscaping policies required along the Route 7 corridor between Broad Run and the east corporate limits of the town of Leesburg. Zoning Amendment 2017-0002, Proposed Zoning Ordinance Amendment to amend the revised 1993 Loudoun County Zoning Ordinance to revise regulations in regards to amending the building setback, parking setback, and landscaping standards required along the Route 7 corridor between Broad Run and the east corporate limits of the town of Leesburg. Welcome, Mr. Elkins. Is there any way we could have made that shorter? We would like to, but it had to match the ad, so that's why. <laughs> I think we might need to send this to work session. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Chairman and members of the commission. I'm Josh Elkins with the Department of Planning and Zoning. Um, as we stated, this is for a comprehensive plan amendment and a zoning ordinance amendment in regards to the Route 7 setbacks and buffer yard standards. To give you a little bit of background on these amendments, the board approved a rezoning earlier this year, which modified the setbacks along Route 7. As part of this approval, the board directed 
staff and TLUC to take a closer look into the existing and approved setbacks along Route 7 and to discuss how to make these more consistent. Staff and TLUC discussed these issues in greater detail at the February 17th TLUC meeting. As a starting point, as a starting point for the amendments, the TLUC recommended a 200-foot building setback, a 150-foot parking setback, and enhanced landscaping along the corridor. Following the TLUC meeting, the board directed staff to prepare a resolution of intent to amend the revised general plan and the zoning ordinance. The resolution of intent to amend was approved on June 22nd at the June 22nd board business meeting. Last month, staff held an open house um, to discuss the proposed amendments with property owners along the corridor, and 10 members of the public came out to express their views on this amendment, and we'll discuss their thoughts later in this presentation. So the segment of Route 7, which is subject to this amendment, is located between the town of Leesburg and Broad Run, as highlighted on this map. At the briefing for this item, it was requested that we provide information on other major roads and their associated setbacks. This table shows a comparison of setbacks required by Section 5900 and the required buffer yards for the subject portion of Route 7, as well as Route 28, Route 606, and the eastern portion of Route 50 as well as other arterial roads in eastern Loudoun County. As you can see in this, in this, as you can see, this portion of Route 7 is the most intensive building setback requiring 300 feet and the most intensive parking setback of 100 feet. To amend these standards, we must first amend the policies of the comprehensive plan. The current keynote employment center policies specify that keynote employment uses should be set back a minimum of 300 feet from Route 7. Whereas in the proposed language, you can see that we strike the references to the minimum setbacks and merely speak to the broad goals of the corridor. We also discuss in more detail the goals of enhancing the landscaping along the corridor. Once we establish the goals of the comprehensive plan, we can then move forward with amending the zoning ordinance. The zoning ordinance currently requires a 300-foot building setback and a 100-foot parking setback along this corridor. The zoning ordinance also specifies that properties located along this corridor are subject to a type three front yard buffer along the frontage. The proposed zoning ordinance regulations will decrease the building setback to 200 feet, but increase the parking setback to 150 feet. Additionally, the buffer standards are being amended to require a 100 foot, a 100 foot wide type five buffer yard for properties which abut this segment of Route 7. The requirements of the Type 5 buffer yard are also being amended to include specific design elements unique to this segment of Route 7. To give you a better understanding of what is required by a Type 5 buffer yard, the Type 5 is a 100 foot, is 100 foot wide measured from the right of way extending into the property and requires additional planting than what is currently required with the Type 3 buffer yard. The Type 5 will promote better design that is proportional to scale of multi-story buildings and the county's vision for the business corridor. We also include a provision to help promote pollinators in our area by requiring 75% of the understory trees and shrubs to produce a flower at some point in the growing season. Also, based on feedback that we received at the open house, instead of requiring all native plant species within this buffer, we only require 50% of the plant material to be native species to help promote diversity and survivability along the corridor. 
So let's say you have a 300 foot segment of frontage. This example gives you an idea of what the proposed corridor may look like. Each 100 foot segment of frontage is required to contain the plant material required per 100 linear feet. However, the plant material may be spread throughout the full 100 foot depth of the buffer yard as shown here on this graphic. The following are the issues for consideration that were raised by both the ZOAC committee and members of the public who attended the open house. Both have expressed concerns with increasing the parking setback from 100 feet to 150 feet, which would result in a loss of site area to accommodate required parking and further reduce the developable area of the site. Additionally, the 150 foot parking setback would be a greater setback than what is applicable to other major arterial roads as we discussed earlier in the presentation. Staff feels that the enhanced landscaping is an effective method for improving the aesthetic quality of the corridor and supports maintaining the existing 100 foot parking setback as currently specified in the zoning ordinance and implemented by existing development throughout the corridor. Staff recommends that the Planning Commission forward CPAM 2017-01 and ZOAM 2017-02 to a work session for additional consideration of the impact of the proposed increase of the parking setback from 100 feet to 150 feet. That concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Thank you, Mr. Elkins. Are there any, uh, anybody have any questions of staff? Mr. Scheel. Considering that the uh, 300 foot level has been de rigueur for 20 or 30 or 40 years, uh, don't you think that it's a consideration, staff, consideration for staff that that limit be reduced to 200 feet? Why didn't you mention that as one of your considerations on the uh, electronic blackboard over here? I'm not sure I understand your, are you saying why didn't we identify that as an issue? Yeah. Um, Basically, staff supports that, and we did not hear that raised as an issue by anybody up to the state. So the, reducing the setback from 300 feet to 200 feet for a building has not been identified as an issue. Gosh, I've brought this up uh, for the last eight years, and just about every uh, issue, every uh, application that's come along Route 7. And I think the uh, people here can verify that, yeah. whether they were for it or against it. Mr. Mr. Stoltz, I think the clarification would be that the Board of Supervisors introduced this zoning amendment to modify this buffer. Is that correct? So That is correct. So staff is doing this at the request of the Board of Supervisors. That's correct. That you had a public meeting and nobody identified that as a concern at the public meeting and staff is also in favor of the reduction as well. Yes, we support that reduction. So, Mr. Scheel, I believe this is done at the request of the Board of Supervisors to answer your question. Okay. I'm sorry, it is my concern and no one else's concern. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Scheel. Are there other questions uh, for staff, Mr. Um, Pierce? <laughs> any questions? Um, as, as it relates to the building setback decrease and then the parking setback increase, were those two seen as correlated or were they independent decisions? Was the decision to increase the parking setback based on 
some issues we see today, or was it sort of a, well, if we're gonna let you build a building closer, you just have to put the parking farther back? Yeah, I think it was seen as a ability to enhance the buffer uh, along the, the corridor to enhance this, you know, if you are in decreasing the building setback, it was thought by increasing the parking, you would have the ability to enhance the buffer, have more opportunities for that. But as we kind of reviewed this uh, application, we felt like the enhanced buffer within the 100 foot would be sufficient. So from staff's analysis, um, it was basically a board direction as a starting point for consideration. There wasn't really um, much beyond that, I think, at this so point. I think you just answered what was gonna be my next question, that if we leave it at 100, we have this enhanced buffing, we could still accomplish all the enhanced buffing if we leave it at 100 versus 150. That's staff's position, yeah. Thank you. Mr. Priscilla. I just had one. Um, one of the items noted was that reducing the setback would help increase the FAR capability of development along the line, along that stretch. I was wondering, do we have any rough orders of magnitude of what that means economically? I think there's a lot of different uh, zoning districts along that corridor, and it's hard to look at it as a whole. It would kind of be on a site-by-site -site basis, so we, we don't have anything particular on that. It would just time. be helpful if some way you could think of trying to quantify what that supposed benefit is by reducing the setback, since that's one of the stated objectives. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Priscilla. Other questions? Mr. Jennings. Just one. <clears throat> To Commissioner Shields' point, we have been we have confronted the setback on a number of applications. <clears throat> Some of the debate, one way or another, has challenged the fact that we were making one-off decisions and shouldn't this be part of a broader, comprehensive view, like Envision Loudon and our new comprehensive plan? I'm just asking: Has was there a discussion about rolling that into a broader view within Envision Loudon, the new comp plan, or has this always been? an individual item to be taken up as part of the zoning ordinance amendment agenda by the board. It was raised, I think, as a, as a point of discussion through the through the amendment, but I think the board felt like the uh, with applications coming in and modifications requests, they saw this as something that needed to be dealt with sooner than after the Envision Loudon process was completed. Thank you, Mr. Jennings. Other questions, Mr. Sisley? Uh, could staff explain the difference between the positions taken in attachment one and two um, for the to inform the motion, please? <clears throat> so the attachment one, I believe, is the comprehensive plan amendment language, and attachment two is the zoning ordinance amendment language. So they're two separate; they'd be two separate motions. Mr. Chairman, could you? Take um, Strava at least and other commissioners on if they want to get a work session if we are in general agreement where you want to leave it. Um, I have a couple more questions, okay. but I believe that there's going to be a motion to approve it tonight. So, what? After we have public comments, of course. Um, so we'll we'll see how the public comments uh, uh, are addressed. Uh, any other questions? Um, I have one question which was the Type 5 buffer um, proposed in this uh, CPM. Is this identical to the um, Type 5 buffer that's located in the Route 50 corridor? The planting requirement 
is identical. However, there are specific elements that are unique to the type five, or they're unique to the Route 50 corridor, and there are some elements that are unique to the Route 7 corridor. Are you able to articulate those briefly, or? Yes, the, so the Route 50 corridor only allows plant material within the first 50 feet of the buffer yard, of the 100-foot buffer, okay. whereas in the Route 7, it allows it throughout the full 100-foot depth. Okay. And also, the Route 50 also requires a linear element, whereas on Route 7, we don't require a linear element, but we also speak to providing plant material that appeals to pollinators. Okay. Is there any specific reason why we're not meeting the same requirements on both of these major roads? Uh, or is there a suggestion that we should think about revising the current Route 50 um, buffers to match this new one since it's new and improved? I think the biggest, the biggest difference is the linear element, which I think should remain specific to Route 50 because it kind of ties in with the stone fences that are along that corridor, whereas Route 7 doesn't have those same existing elements. So that's kind of why we broke that apart and created the separate design segments. Okay. Mr. Sicily? Sorry. Okay. Without any further comments, we will go to public hearing. There are two members of the public that have already signed up to speak. Um, first speaker will be Benjamin Tissue, followed by Mark Moorstein. Please uh, select uh, either podium. You have three minutes. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, members of the board. My name is Ben Tissue. I uh, represent uh, Bluemont Nursery, which is one of the parcels of, uh, of concern along Route 7. Uh, our comments has to do with the 200-foot setback we really applaud that, that reduction from 300 feet. If you take into consideration if you had the 300-foot setback and the proposed 75-foot setback required by the, the proposed Riverside Parkway, that would reduce the, the, the developable area of Bluemont Nursery for its development by 52%. That is a takings that we cannot sustain. So 200 feet we can live with. As far as the parking setback, the, the 150 feet is really not acceptable from the, our standpoint because that only leaves 50 feet of development allowed within that uh, small area of parking. And that does not create an efficient, an efficient layout of the parking. Normally you would have a travel way and then two parking bays on either side of that travel way. Plus, you would need some type of, of sidewalk in front of the building. So right there, you're almost talking about a total of about 70 feet. So reducing it back down to the 100 foot would be sufficient. As far as the landscaping, that's something that uh, I don't think anybody really took into consideration when they were proposing it. Uh, I don't know whether the staff knows it or not, but there is a 40-foot gas line easement all the way down Route 7 on the north side, as well as a Loudoun County 10-foot uh, water line easement. So right there, you have 50 feet right there that you really can't plan in. So if you look at your ordinance that the 50 feet uh, 
is supposed to be adjacent to the right-of-way, I think you'd have a hard time doing that particular type of buffering. Also, too, each site has to be done on an individual basis. Uh, having been doing landscape plans because I'm a registered landscape architect, I think I have the ability to tell you that each situation has to be a little bit different than the others. And I think you have to do it site by site. Uh, modifications of that, 50% uh, native plant material. Native plant material is not really conducive to an urban situation. They are not, uh, uh, they do not like a lot of the urban uh, environments. They don't do well with heat. And you have to think of different types of plants that are native to that particular type of environment. If you do not, then I think you'll lose a lot of your landscaping. I appreciate the uh, time to speak. And if you all have any questions, I'd gladly answer those if need be. Thank you, Mr. Tissue. Our next speaker is Mark Morstein. Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Mark Morstein. Um, uh, we, uh, uh, I'm an attorney, and I also uh, represent uh, uh, Blue Mount. Uh, we, we're, we're doing some work that's a little bit broader than just this. Uh, we're involved uh, in the uh, Riverside Parkway uh, uh, taking, and uh, we've got a few other issues. But I want to speak just briefly on the policy on this because I think there are a number of, uh, number of issues. Uh, I think the reduction to the 200 feet, is, uh, as uh, Mr. Tissue indicated, is, is very much welcome. I think it's a good, uh, uh, a good move in terms of revenue for the uh, county and also for the developers. And I think, it's been, as has been noted, uh, it does increase the FAR, which uh, allows for the, uh, the improvement of the quality of, of, of development along the uh, route, uh, route 7 corridor. The uh, Blue Mound property is one of the very few properties that are left right now, and there is this question uh, with regard to the, the, the setbacks. I think moving it back to the 200, I think, brings it in line uh, with other properties that have already been uh, uh, zoned uh, and approved at, at 100 feet, sometimes with some waivers that have occurred uh, uh, by the board. So, again, I think this uh, uh, helps the, some of the situations where you may have uh, arguments of equal protection and, and other uh, uh, fair dealing, I think, with all of the properties. But again, I think the, the longer view of this is that it uh, will help the county in terms of development and also help the county in terms of the quality of the development. Um, I would like to say, too, uh, that we, I attended the open house, and the open house, I think, really went well. And I, I really have to commend the staff uh, for listening to, the, uh, to listening to some of the concerns of the various people that were there. Uh, the setback, uh, the setback requirement with regard to the parking is a problem, as, uh, as already has been noted, but I do think that uh, by moving it back to the 100 feet and increasing the requirements uh, of the buffer, I think that does help, and I think that does solve the problem, so we're in support of that as well. Uh, one possible uh, uh, possibility on this is to consider sub, uh, subterranean parking or underground parking, which could uh, or may, may or may not extend to the same level uh, of the uh, of the setbacks, for for example, you know, an underground parking could actually go to a 50-foot level, uh, which provides additional parking as well, um, and that was also brought up at the uh, at the open house, and it would be something to consider as well. And again, the revenue benefits uh, uh, the revenue benefits to the county is something I think that should be anticipated 
uh, overall in, in terms of the county uh, by, by recognizing that there is a lot of un, unused land that could be put to, uh, uh, put to work in terms of revenues by using creative mechanisms for, uh, uh, for reclaiming that land either by uh, increased buffering, underground parking, things of that nature. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Morstein. Uh, those are the uh, final uh, uh, speakers that have signed up to speak. Are there any other members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Would staff like a uh, brief moment to uh, make comments? Uh, yes. As a point of clarification uh, to Mr. Tissue's question, um, we, are, we were aware that there are easements that run along Route 7, which is the precise reason that we, for this amendment, we allow the Type 5 buffer yard to be planted the full 100-foot length and not just confined to the first 50 feet. Very well. Um, okay, so uh, there's been a request, and I think it's a, a valid one, to uh, see where people are on the 100-foot and whether this needs to go to a work session uh, or not. So I'll start to my left and ask Mr. Lloyd, um, your thoughts, do you feel that the 100 is okay and you're willing to uh, move forward with it tonight, or do you think we should go to work session? I'm okay with it. We can move forward. Okay. Mr. Siston. <clears throat> in general, I'm going to vote in favor of it, but I just need a clarification because the attachment for the CPAM currently states that the parking uh, is to be set back at 150 feet, and I'm hearing from staff that staff is okay with it remaining at the 100-foot uh, level. And then the same thing with the ZOAM. I have to imagine that that language is exactly the same in both attachments. So um, the motion that's been written would have to recognize staff's more recent position that a 100-foot setback for parking is permissible in both attachments. Correct? That's correct. That's correct. Right. Thank you. Okay. Mr. Kearse. Yeah, um, I, I would support the 200-foot setback for the building, and I also support the uh, leaving the parking setback at 100 However, if the commission wants to talk about reducing the building setback to less than 200, I'd be happy to go to work session. I'm going to forget I heard that. Just kidding. Uh, I'm okay with the 100-foot uh, uh, setback. Um, I'm in, inclined to agree a lot with Mr. Scheel on this one, but this is a board-activated um, CPAM, so uh, that's what the board wants. Mr. Jennings, uh, move forward or go to work session? Uh, move forward. Blackburn. I've waited a long time for this, Jeff. <laughs> so, you're, so you're on the fence. I, okay. Yeah, no, I can move forward. At, and Does, I also would, uh, uh, wouldn't mind a 150-foot setback. But. Okay, Mr. Priscilla. I'd be on the fence, but there isn't one in the Route 7 one, so I'm okay. Turns out that's correct. Not a, not a stone fence anyway. Mr. Scheel? Uh, I'm undecided in regard to the uh, parking setback. But also, I was wondering about Mr. Tissue raising the point of uh, the type of foliage because basically he has disagreed with you. And uh, where did you get your information as to uh, what type of greenery should go there? And uh, why do you both differ considering that Blue Mount Nurseries has been a... Uh, rather revered uh, uh, business in the county for 
some 30 odd years. Yes, at the, at the time of the open house, we had initially said that all plant material should be native plant material, and we presented that at the open house. And based on the feedback that we got from Mr. Tissue and others there, we decided that we reduced that back to have requiring only 50% native plant material. We feel that some native plant material is necessary because it thrives better around here and is uh, less pr pr prone to diseases. So that's, that's one reason why we uh, kept the native plant material requirement, and it was also something that the TLUC had mentioned, uh, providing a provision to allow native plant material. But that's exactly the point that Mr. Tissue disagreed with you on, that you said it did not thrive because of uh, development, heat, and I think some other uh, comments there. <clears throat> I, too, am also a landscape architect, and I have to respectfully disagree with that. Okay. Well, maybe you both landscape architects <laughs> could get together and come to a consensus. Thank you. So I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence on the very, very well. Mr. Barnes. I'm okay with the staff's 50%. Uh, okay. So it sounds like we're ready to, uh, to move forward on this. This is in four districts, so... Um, since I don't have a four-sided uh, uh, dice with me, um, I'm going to uh, ask Mr. Kierce to uh, provide a motion. I move the Planning Commission forward CPAM 2017-1 Route 7 setbacks and buffer standards as provided in Attachment 1 to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval. And I move the Planning Commission forward ZOAM 2017-2 Route 7 setbacks and buffer standards as provided in attachment 2, with the exception that section 5-900A1BII parking remained at 100 feet, to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval. Second motion, seconded by Commissioner Sisley, or I think Ms. Blackburn seconded that? I forgot. Yeah, all right. Uh, any further comments? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 8-1 with Commissioner Scheel in opposition. Uh, thank you very much. Our next application uh, is Zoning uh, Ordinance Amendment 2017-0003, Proposed Zoning Ordinance Amendment to amend Article 6 and 7 of the revised 1993 Loudoun County Zoning Ordinance to establish a uniform schedule of civil penalties for violations and revised public notice requirements in accordance with applicable provisions of the Virginia Code. Ms. Sigler, welcome. Good evening, Mr. Chair and members of the Planning Commission. Uh, my name is Lori Sigler. I'm an assistant county attorney, and I am here to present on behalf of a couple of my colleagues. Um, uh, ZOAM 2017-0003, uh, which again does proposed amendments to Article 6 and 7 of the revised 1993 county ordinance. Um, these amendments were originally going to be part of a larger ZOAM to come before the Planning Commission and the Board, uh, but our office specifically felt that these two issues were of more importance and that we should bring them forward and act on them more quickly uh, than the more comprehensive ZOAM that is still uh, being worked on. Um, so, again, I don't have a presentation, 
Um, but specifically, the first part of the ZOAM uh, is meant to establish a uniform schedule of civil penalties for zoning uh, ordinance violations. <clears throat> and it also clarifies the violations that are of a criminal nature and of a civil nature. Um, so they are consolidated in section five, or sorry, six, five, oh, four. And there is a specific section where there is a penalty for not filing the affidavit associated with the affordable dwelling units. Um, that is going to be a civil violation, and that amount is increasing from $50 a day violation to $100 a day violation. Um, and the second part of the ZOAM has to do with the notice requirements um, under 5601 of the zoning ordinance. Um, there's basically three types of notice that have to go out for any type of land development application. Um, it is going to be written notice, which is in the form of a letter to affected property owners. Uh, the notification, the notice in the newspaper, so the published notice, and then Loudoun County also has placard notice. Um, the first two, the newspaper and the written notice, are required by the Virginia Code, and localities can choose to do more notice. Um, the, state, the state code sets the minimum, and uh, so the county has chosen to do a placard notice where you see the signs that are sitting on the property that are directly affected by the application. Um, the placard notice changes are, are pretty minor. Um, it mostly has to do with the content of what's in the notice. Um, that's given, the zoning administrator is given more discretion as to, or the director of planning is given more discretion as to what is contained on that sign. Um, and then the other big changes that have to do with the written notice um, Virginia Code requires that notice be sent five days prior to the public hearing, and our current ordinances require that the notice be mailed a minimum of 10 days before, and I believe it's, um, but not more than 30 days um, before the public hearing. So we're changing that to what the state code allows, which is the five-day notice. Um, so there's only one place that staff and even applicants have to go to make sure that they're in compliance with the times. Um, and the paper notice, um, again, there's not going to be any significant, uh, significant changes with that. It's still going to be once a week for two successive weeks. And again, there is a little more flexibility in what the content of notice is going to contain in the paper. Again, we still have to meet all requirements in the Virginia Code. Uh, again, there was a little conflict. Our, the county's notice requirement required a little bit more information, um, including tax map numbers, which people really don't rely on those. We really rely on the PIN number system, but the ordinance specifically said tax maps. So, um, so that's, that is a brief summary. Um, I know there was one question at the briefing session. 
um, and it went to the penalties for the affordable dwelling units. Um, I think the question was that it specifically referred to affordable dwelling units and what happens if the county chooses to um, provide additional types of affordable housing like workforce housing. Um, and if that happens, first of all, we don't know what chapter of the code they may be under. So it could be chapter seven or there could be a new uh, chapter. And again, we don't know if those types of housings will require the affidavit, which is what the penalties are, are tied to. So if there would be other types of um, affordable dwelling units, it may need, mean that we have to do another revision to this penalty section. Very well. So if okay. I'll ask, answer any questions, or I don't know if. Thank, thank you, Ms. Sigler. Uh, are there any questions for staff on this? Commissioner Shield. Why are you raising the civil penalty 100%? That sounds like a uh, quite a increase. And it's only for the one type of violation, and that's the failure to file the necessary affidavits to certify um, that you're basically in compliance with all the affordable dwelling unit requirements. Um, so again, that's not the actual fines per violation uh, for the bulk um, of the civil penalties are not increasing. They're staying the same. But this one particular one, we feel that, that um, the state code allows us to increase and that that was, and, and that was a, an effective way to, um, you know, to handle that particular violation. Thank you, Commissioner Shield. Other questions? Commissioner Blackburn. Um, I might be confused. Is it, um, is it uh, a fine for f providing false statements on the affidavit or for not filing the affidavit? There is a criminal penalty for anybody who does make, knowingly make a false statement. Okay, got it. And the 50 or the $100 penalty um, are for the owners of the dwelling units who fail to submit the executed affidavit as required by Article 7. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Blackburn. Other questions? Okay. Uh, we're in public hearing. There are no members of the public that have signed up to speak on this application. Are there any members of the public that would like to speak on this application tonight? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Commissioner Sisley, this is a countywide application. Do you have a motion? I do. I move that the Planning Commission forward ZOAM 2017-0003 um, schedule of penalties and notice requirements for public hearings as provided in Attachment 1 of the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission public hearing staff report to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval. Second. Thank you. There's a motion by Commissioner Sisley, seconded by Commissioner Blackburn. Any other further comments? Commissioner Shill. I still cannot see why failure to file just in regard to a affordable housing provision is going to cost somebody a hundred bucks a day. That seems like a very 
major fee for a very minor point, in my opinion. And I still can't see why you're increasing that 100 percent. And Mr. Shield, we do have uh, Keith Fairfax here who does handle uh, the zoning uh, enforcement, and I think maybe he can address that. Commissioner Shield, just in a try to make this as quick as possible, but we have over 2,000 uh, properties in the affordable dwelling unit program at this time. On a yearly basis, we have an average of about 10% of those who do not timely submit their affidavit. It is a substantial uh, resource issue for our staff. It's very time-consuming, and honestly, $50 doesn't cover the staff costs to go serve the property owner with the repetitive notice that they refused to pick up from the post office and to go back and forth to the property to post the required information and issue the fines. So that's one of the reasons after doing this for so many years and seeing, um, for lack of a better word, recidivist, that we suggested that the fines be increased. Well said. Thank you, Mr. Shield. Without any further comments, all in favor? Aye. Opposed? Okay, motion passes 9-0. Thank you very much. Our next application has a much shorter subject. It is Commission Permit 2017-0005, Special Minor Exception 2017-0018, School Board Public Utility Service Center. Welcome, Mr. State Board. Good evening, Chairman, members of the Commission. Uh, Loudoun County School Board has applied for Commission Permit 5, Minor Special Exception 18, School Board Utility Service Center. This item is on a 151.5 acre property located within the Blue Ridge District on the west side of Light Ridge Farm Road, south of Braddock Road. Currently, access is provided by one driveway to Light Ridge Farm Road. The property is in the TR3 UBF zoning district, bordered by the greens at Willowsford to the north, uh, featuring a community center and recreation area, and future lots to the west. Willowsford operations own a 12-acre parcel to the south, and the remaining parcels to the south and east are farms with single-family residencies. The property is the location of the recently approved Dulles South High and Elementary Schools, which are set to open in 2020 and 2023, respectively. The request is to permit the use of an existing barn structure for the storage of maintenance, seasonal maintenance equipment and materials with no outdoor storage. The applicant is also requesting a minor special exception Although this request is directed to the board for review, uh, it's within the purview of the commission to review the plat. 
The modifications requested by the applicant generally seek to supplement the required buffer with evergreen trees rather than shrubs, relocate the buffer yards around the use rather than the parcel perimeter, and modify the time of planning to coincide with occupancy of the high school to avoid disturbance from construction. Staff initially voiced concerns that the buffer yard time of planning would be open-ended, but the applicant has agreed to a condition ensuring the front, south side, and rear will be planted by spring 2018. Upon request from community members, the applicant will construct a fence along the north side yard and will plant the buffer trees upon approval of the use. Staff supports the commission's approval of the commission permit. Uh, the revised general plan supports co-location of county facilities and the location, character, and extent are also in substantial conformance with the plan. I'm happy to answer any further questions. Thank you, Mr. Stafer. Are there any questions for staff? Mr. She uh, Commissioner Kearse. Um, will access to the barn still be as shown in that picture directly from Lightridge there or will it be via an internal road when the schools are built on that property? I believe access will come from the south side um, and will attach to the uh, transportation improvements that are going to be made as part of the high school um, rather than so access will only be provided from the south and uh, western sides of the barn so that access road will or will not be there once they develop the site it will not be there. It will not. It's, It'll be from whatever the entrance is to the school property. There'll be a road that cuts over to this building. Correct. From Light Ridge Road. And as far as what will be put in there, has there been any? Is there any things that have been specifically stated would or would not be kept in there? Uh, they specifically stated there would be uh, salt kept on a concrete slab. They mentioned uh, dirt um, for. I guess during the summer they would keep winter snow plows and then during the winter they would uh, keep the lawnmowers uh, but that is all they've mentioned so this is, is this bag salt or is this like the big mounds that they come in and dig out with steam shovel you know the front-end loaders and dump into trucks to go out and salt school properties or is it more the bags of salt that would be I'm trying to get a sense if this is more of a would be used for more of a commercial dumping, you know, loading and dumping to take to other school sites? I believe they uh, do intend to use it where the trucks would come in, load up with salt, and then uh, carry them off to uh, other school sites. Um, as for how that process is conducted, I'm not we can get that answer. So I'm just curious so if, if it is, you know, would the trucks drive inside the building where there would be a loader that would then scoop it, load up the truck, and the truck would then drive out of the building already loaded. Is, it, is that? We do, we do have the applicant here this evening. We can ask him to clarify okay. how that operation would work. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Kearse. Um, I had any other questions? I had one question, which was, um, where is this activity being held today? Is this being done um, on current LC, uh, uh, LCPS property, or is this something that's a need that the county currently doesn't have in the Dulles South District? Chair, someone I've asked the, the Blue Ridge District. I've asked Sarah Howard O'Brien from schools to come down and help answer questions. 
Uh, yes, good evening. My name is Sarah Howard O'Brien. I'm with Loudoun County Public Schools. Uh, to answer your question, we do not currently have this type of facility in Dallas South, and that's one of our issues right now. All of our um, trucks either come out of the Western Loudoun site to serve the Western schools uh, out near Hamilton or the Sickland Road site um, out near Leesburg. So, so the Freedom High School site in South Riding is being run out of Sicklin, or is it being run out of? Yes, it's run out of Sicklin. Not it, we, we don't go quite to Hamilton, but we we do run our trucks out of Sicklin. And if I may, just while we're talking about it, elaborate a little more on uh, Commissioner Kier's question. Um, contacted our uh, facilities director to make sure that I had an understanding of what is being proposed. And yes, we will have you know a, a salt supply in the barn for the purpose is to put down a concrete slab so that we can put that on it. The truck, we don't have the big commercial trucks like the commercial driver's license trucks like a VDOT truck would be. Uh, it would be a single axle truck that would come in and be loaded with salt and then go back out. They'll actually start at our um, Leesburg facility, our Sickland Road facility, they'll have their come there because that's where the trucks are parked. They'll be loaded there and be dispensed to their first school site in Dallas South. And then once they run out of salt or sand, then they would come to this barn, come into the barn, be reloaded, and go back out. Um, and when that would occur, obviously, only in inclement weather, and it's only intended to serve the Dallas South area. Uh, what I've been told is that including the growth for the Dallas South area, there would be four trucks that would serve the Dallas South area. Okay. One, one follow-up, which is, um, if I recall, and I think you and I have talked about this for a very long time, this is a, um, the county has a capital needs assessment, but I'm sure the school board has something similar. This has been on the plans for the school uh, board for a very long time. Is that it correct? has, yes, for a very long time. And in fact, we, we thought we had a facility just a little bit further to the west at our new middle school site that's under construction, but that barn had to come down. But when we bought this property, we have another barn. It's a fairly sizable barn. It's 15,000 square feet in size. It's well constructed. It was built in the 80s, and um, we'd like to use it for this purpose. It's a need we have in that area. Great. Thank you. Other questions? Okay, uh, we're now in public hearing. There's nobody that signed up to speak on this application, um, but are there any members of the audience that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. May I make a comment, Mr. Chairman? Um, are you gonna rebuttal the public comments? No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'd just like to make a clarification, and I, I apologize, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing, so maybe I misheard this, but I just wanted to say that the applicant agreed to plant the northern buffer. Um, I know this is not something the Planning Commission is considering, but we agreed to plant the northern buffer between the barn and Willisford by the spring of 2018. But we are going to ask the board for a deferral on the other three buffers as to be done as a part of the high school construction. I, I believe that was what was commented. So okay. thank you for clarifying that. Uh, this is in the Blue Ridge District. Mr. Priscilla. Mr. Chairman, I presume from your questioning that you're good with it since it serves a fair amount of your district? Well, I'm not sure most residents in South Riding know where Sicklin Road is, so I okay. think this is a great thing. Um, I know I've been uh, having discussions with uh, Ms. O'Brien for a long time around other sites that this activity could take place, and frankly, it's difficult to do it 
in any other location. So I'm definitely in favor of it. Terrific. Okay, Mr. Chairman, I move that the Planning Commission approve Commission Permit 2017-005 School Board Utility Service Center based on the findings for approval in the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report and subject to the Commission Permit Plat prepared by Urban Limited dated June 28, 2017, revised through October 16, 2017, and forward it to the Board of Supervisors for ratification. So the motion, is there a second? Seconded by Commissioner Salmon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, any further comments? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, motion passes 9-0. Thank you very much. Our next application is Commission Permit 2017-0006, Special Minor Exception 2017-0015, Dulles North Elementary School, ES31. Welcome, Mr. Farron. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the Planning Commission. Um, Loudoun County School Board is seeking Planning Commission approval for a new elementary school in the Broad Run Election District. The proposed site is approximately 13.5 acres in size and is located on the east side of Belmont Ridge Road, north of Waxpool Road, immediately north of Tillett's Auction Barn. Uh, creation of the pr proposed school site requires boundary line adjustments and consolidation of por portions of four existing parcels. The site and adjacent properties are all zoned R1 single-family residential, with the exception of a small rural com commercial district immediately south of the site. The applicant is requesting a commission permit for an ele elementary school in the Dulles North School Board Planning District. This school would serve 928 students. The facility is a 105,000 square foot building in a two-story configuration. Um, this proposal also features overlapping recreational fields to maximize use of the relatively small school site. Um, elementary schools are a by-right use in R1 zoning districts, but still require commission review of the location, character, and extent of the proposal to ensure compliance with the comprehensive plan. The applicant is also requesting a minor special exception to locate a stormwater management pond on an adjacent parcel rather than the school site itself. Uh, the minor special exception application does not require a commission recommend recommendation before proceeding to the board. This graphic shows the preliminary plans for the property, including the school, recreational facilities, and the off-site stormwater pond. Access to the school will be provided via a new proposed public street linking Belmont Ridge Road to Waxpool Road south of the school site. The applicant will upgrade the segment of Waxpool Road from Ashburn Tillett Drive east of the site to um, the new proposed uh, public road. Um, and as noted in the staff report, the school is anticipated to open prior to the completion of planned upgrades to Belmont Ridge Road. The applicant has committed to routing all public traffic to the Waxpool Road entrance until the Belmont Ridge uh, upgrades are complete and it is a four-lane divided arterial condition. Uh, the applicant will also be providing right and left turn lanes from Belmont Ridge Road prior to the opening of that entrance to the school site. At the PC briefing earlier this month, uh, commission had several questions regarding potential walk zones to the site. 
the applicant can provide more details on that process, um, but I can note that upgrades to Waxpool Road noted on the previous slide will include a multi-use trail on the north side of Waxpool Road connecting to the reserve at Waxpool to the east. Uh, this trail could facilitate walk zones from residential neighborhoods east and south of the school. Uh, upgrades to Belmont Ridge Road will also include multi-use trails on both sides. However, walk zones would not be anticipated to use these Belmont Ridge trails. Um, the applicant has prepared a response to questions regarding the potential for queuing backups onto Belmont Ridge and Waxpool, and I will defer to Sarah on that question. Staff supports the Planning Commission's approval of this commission permit. The general location, character, and extent of the proposed school substantially conform to the revised general plan, which anticipates the development of schools sited near attendance areas and residential neighborhoods in the suburban policy area. Commission permits have no conditions or proffers. This application is ready for commission action, and I'm happy to take any questions that you might have. Thank you, Mr. Farron. Are there any questions of uh, the applicant? Uh, does Steph have a separate presentation or no? You do? Okay. Then let's just hold off on questions. Ready for me? All right. My name is Sarah Howard O'Brien. I'm with Loudoun County Public Schools, and I just want to note that we did mail our notices and post the property, and we have filed the uh, requisite affidavits with the clerk. The staff has reviewed the details uh, of the proposed project, uh, the zoning and location and so forth. So what I would like to do is focus on uh, the school need, uh, respond to questions that I've received from the Planning Commission, and to discuss some of the um, community concerns that we have heard um, as a part of uh, our outreach. Uh, first of all, this school is intended to provide relief to the Dallas North area. Uh, it is to address the continued growth in that area as well as to help implement full-day kindergarten. You all may be aware that our school board and superintendent have a goal of implementing uh, full-day kindergarten throughout the county. As of this school year, countywide, we are at approximately 80% uh, full-day kindergarten of, our, our, of all the kindergartners that would be eligible to attend. Uh, but in our fastest-growing areas, uh, it is difficult to provide that same uh, level of, of service. Uh, in the Dallas North area, we're at about 56% of the service to those kindergartners who would like to attend full-day K. And the reasons for that are obvious. Uh, Dallas North and Dallas South are our fastest growing areas, and we are struggling to keep up with the number of seats for the first graders through the 12th graders. Uh, right now, uh, six out of the seven Dallas North elementary schools are over capacity this year, uh, and the seventh one is at 93%. I'll give you just a little bit of rundown in terms of uh, our seat shortage uh, and to show you the need for this school. Uh, this year, we're just over 400 seats short. Uh, next year, in 2018, the, the need projection is uh, 777. But we are building three three-room additions uh, at three of our elementary schools, Creighton's Corner, Legacy, and Rosalie Carter. So that will add 207 seats, uh, reducing the shortage to 570. 
In 2019, this school is anticipated to open if it's approved, and what that will do is give us a plus of 108 seats in the Dallas North area. If it does not open, we will be 829 seats short. Um, in the next year, uh, 2020, uh, we will have a deficit of 298 seats, but in 2021, we intend to open uh, ES23, which is a proffered school site in the Arcola Center development, uh, and that will put us back on the plus side all the way out to 2023 when I'll be back with more schools. Um, we did have a community meeting, as we do with all of our project sites uh, in September. Um, we had about 15 people come to, to the community meeting. Uh, subsequent to the meeting, we received, our school board received about 15 emails from concerned citizens. Uh, those emails dealt with uh, road safety concern about the size of the school site, attendance boundary changes, and why were we proposing to locate at this particular location when there are potentially free sites located um, just to the east in the Silver Line planning area. Uh, as um, staff noted, we do plan to construct an internal public street that will provide access to the school. Uh, in the long term, we will have excellent access by having both the ability to access to Belmont Ridge Road, a four-lane uh, roadway, as well as Waxpool Road. Uh, the turn lanes, uh, as a part of the county project, the widening of Belmont Ridge Road will include a southbound uh, left turn lane. It's about 450 feet in length, allowing 22 cars stacking. Also, a right turn lane, 300 feet in length, 15 cars stacking. Um, Waxpool Road, uh, we have submitted our traffic study, which is currently under review. We anticipate that we will be bringing that road up to BDOT standards. It's currently a pave in place. Um, and as a part of uh, improvements, we will have a um, sidewalk on the north side of our internal street and extend the trail that currently exists at Ashburn till it drive to our west out to our internal street. Um, Another concern that was raised by the community was the notion of having a school located on Belmont Ridge Road, which is a major roadway. We do have a number of schools located on four-lane divided roads, and we have actually a school, an elementary school, to the north in Belmont Forest, Belmont Station, that is similarly situated to this school. Uh, we are uh, confident that this will provide a safe access um, to reach the school uh, and that our, our children will in fact be safe there. A question that frequently comes up on our school sites and that we are, are keen on planning for is uh, student drop-off. We have a number of, of parents who prefer to uh, drop off their students rather than uh, walk to the school or uh, take the bus service that is provided. Uh, we have specifically designed this site to, to provide a maximum queuing of 82 cars on site. And if you take into account the internal public street down to Waxpool Road, you would add an additional 40 uh, car stacking spaces. Uh, Commissioner Kears had asked in my discussion with him, uh, well, what's that really mean and how does that look in relation to other schools in the area? These are two Dallas North schools, Mill Run and Hillside. And um, those schools are, are close to this particular school, and Mill Run in particular has a similar 
um, student body of 913. Uh, we went out to the school site and counted parent drop-off uh, recently, uh, checked with our transportation department for bus ridership. Uh, it was impossible to monitor the number of students walking just because they were coming from all directions, uh, both getting out of cars as well as walking into the school. Mill Run has um, 73 on-site stacking spaces, and there were an amazing 302 cars that dropped students off. The school's doors open at approximately 7.30, uh, and school starts at 7.50. So in a 20-minute window, it was an incredibly efficient operation. Um, there was uh, no backup at Mill Run. At Hillside, um, it's a little bit of a smaller school. Uh, they also had less parent drop-off, 137. A lot of students do walk to that school. They only have 39 spaces on site. There was very minimal uh, backup. There was a t very short time period, somewhere between 30 seconds and a, and a minute of two cars uh, that backed out on the, the uh, local street coming into the school. Uh, we also went back out to Mill Run because it was the more heavily uh, parent drop-off to see how the afternoon pickup went, and it was equally impressive. Uh, there was no backup out on the streets, and the, and the cars were managed quite nicely. Uh, the concern has been expressed about the size of the site. It is a smaller school site. It's about 13 and a half acres. Uh, we have a number of schools that are around 15 acres in size, but really the important question anytime we look at a particular school site is what are the site characteristics, the physical characteristics, and can that site accommodate our program? And in this case, the answer is yes. We will have overlaid fields. That is not uncommon on our school sites. We do that where we need to do that. Uh, the students will still have adequate access to outdoor recreational uh, space and time. Um, so we feel good that this site uh, will work. Our smallest school right now is uh, Frederick Douglass Elementary School in Leesburg, and it's right around 11 acres in size. There are always concerns about attendance boundary changes. Uh, the attendance boundary for this school would be considered one year prior to opening, which would be in the fall of 2018. We must do a new attendance zone every time we open a new school, and we seem to open two or three of them a year. Uh, it's a good thing, actually, that parents are concerned about the attendance zones in a way because they come into our schools, they get attached to the school, they get attached to the faculty, and they don't want to leave it. Um, the good news is, is that we have many, many good schools in Loudoun, I dare say they're all good schools and they're good faculty, and that there can be something very exciting about being a part of opening a new school and becoming part of that new school team. And we hope that folks will take that attitude um, into uh, this new school if it's approved. Now, with regard to the question of, of why uh, in this particular location, sometimes a, a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, this particular map is a shot of our Dallas North planning area. And the Dallas North planning area is how we plan our schools. This is the service area. And um, you can readily see how developed this area is. There are very few parcels of land that are vacant or available. Um, the Tillett property happens to be a vacant property, a 65-acre property. We have a willing seller. And more importantly, it's located where we need it. It's located near um, the, the population that we want to serve, um, and it meets our needs in terms of the school. 
We did look at over 30 sites. We had to go outside uh, the planning service area to the north into Ashburn. We went up as far as Route 7, and we also went down into the south, into the Dallas South area. And ultimately, uh, this was the site that was chosen uh, to be pursued. And the question was, was why aren't we looking at the sites that are uh, being discussed and uh, proffered in the Silver Line planning area? Uh, we are actually looking at those. We're quite excited about them. Um, there are two applications that are active. Uh, one is Silver District West, and the other is Ashburn Metro. Both of them are offering elementary school sites. We are reviewing those sites to make sure that they will work. And the short answer to the question is, Yes, we're looking at them, and yes, we will need them. And so we, we are hopeful that they will be proffered as a part of those applications. So to summarize, uh, we need the school. The need is clear. It's a critical need. Uh, we believe the site works, and it complies with the county's uh, requirements. Um, and we ask for your favorable support. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thanks, Sarah. Are there any questions of staff? Commissioner Kears. Uh, just to clarify, the right and left turns, I don't care whoever answers it, knows the answer. So if you're southbound, the left turn into the new entrance, the new road you're building, there'll be a left turn lane for that entrance as well as a left turn at Waxpool Road. Correct. And the same going northbound, right turn on right turn lane to turn right onto Waxpool and a right turn to turn onto what I guess you're calling it Tillett Drive or there is a right turn turning into the school access, uh, and my understanding is the county is currently looking at the uh, Route 659 plans, Belmont Ridge Road plans to determine if a right turn lane should be added. But there is not a right turn lane going into Waxpool as a part of the county's plans. Okay. If, if I may... Uh, Chairman, so I'm Rory Toth with the Department of Transportation Capital Infrastructure. Yeah, just to reiterate what Sarah said, as part of the uh, road widening project, there is, uh, my understanding, going to be a right turn lane coming northbound on Belmont Ridge onto Waxpool, as well as left turn lane there, and also at the school's uh, public access side, both left turn and right turn lanes. All right, thank you. Great. Further questions? Seeing none, we are now in public hearing. Uh, there's no members of the public that have signed up to speak on this application, but are there any members of the public that would like to speak on this application? If you would, uh, sir, please come up to the podium, state your name. Uh, when you're done, if you could complete a speaker slip on that table over there and hand that over to Nancy. Thank you, Mr. Chair and the board members. Um, I'm a new resident to the area where the uh, new What's elementary school name, name, please. Uh, Mark Tellerico. Uh, we moved into the village of Waxpool this past summer, and one of the reasons why we chose to move there was the stability of the location of the schools. We have a daughter that started kindergarten at Mill Run, and we have a son that's going to start there in two years. We wanted to go to these, this area because of the stability and not having to change schools and school districts, as has been the commonplace in the county over the past so many years. Uh, I attended the public hearing or public meeting uh, a few months ago, and and I certainly agree that we have the need to build more elementary schools in the Dulles North area, but it's not necessary for the immediate location. We have two elementary schools, neither of which are overcrowded. The school board's strategic report and planning for the next five years have neither Mill Run nor Hillside as being overcrowded. The overcrowding has take, is taking place in Creighton's Corner and everything, Creighton's Corner, Legacy, 
over by the metro and to the south, where all those areas are still undeveloped. The area immediately around uh, the proposed ES31 is fully developed for the most part with housing. There's not going to be the need for additional students and additional uh, spaces in elementary schools. It is a stable area. All the underdevelopment areas further to the south are where the new elementary schools are going to be needed. One is going to be in the, in, the, in the Aldi area, and likely you're going to need another one. Uh, I, I know that the board looked at Willisford years ago. That's an immediate need. That's where a lot of the underdeveloped areas are, and the areas that are going to be developed. Um, I think the m moving, basically choosing this site, while it might be uh, beneficial to the board and to the county, it's basically putting the onus on the, uh, the homeowners in the area when we already have two great neighborhood and community-developed schools. And to put three elementary schools within a t maybe two-mile radius, if that, is unnecessary. We already are over the mile uh, re restriction for uh, taking a bus, and now they're going to have to bus even more students in to fill this school. It's, 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 it's shifting the burden to an area that doesn't need it. And I ask that you take that into consideration in choosing whether to, to uh, adopt this location for the next elementary school. Thank you. Frank, thank you, Mr. Tellerico. If you could please fill out a speaker slip, we'd appreciate it. Are there any other members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Yes, sir. If you could do the same thing, please state your name and fill out a speaker slip when you're completed. Good evening. Uh, my name is Peter Lanik. Um, I'm a resident just east of the proposed school, and I would like to um, reflect on the comment of the, of the gentleman. I, I share his, his comments regarding the uh, lack of need for another school there, and my biggest concern is regarding the, the, the traffic, the anticipated traffic, and the study that the uh, school board has performed. Uh, the Waxpool Road leading to Belmont Ridge until recently was a, was a dirt road, as you may or may not be aware. Um, it was paved only very recently, perhaps a year and a half or two years ago, and it's a, it's a, it's a very narrow road, quite dangerous, and at this point, it would require a significant widening to accommodate additional turn lanes um, and a sidewalk. So my question to the Loudoun County Schools is what planning have they done in terms of the impact on the traffic and the, the turn lanes, uh, not only off of the Waxpool Road, but also Belmont Ridge, which is also narrow, and would there be a possibility to delay, if not if not um, outright cancel the construction of the, of, of the school, but delay the construction until uh, the widening of the Belmont Ridge is completed because it's going to create a significant amount of, of traffic there, and I believe that the situation is potentially a lot of um, safety concern along that comes that come with that. Mr. Chairman, may I answer the question? Um, why don't we finish that public hearing and then you can address that as part of your rebuttal. If that's all, thank you for your comments. Please fill out a speaker slip. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Would the applicant like to address any items? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, in response to the question uh, regarding the, the, particularly with regard to the traffic in terms of what have we studied and what do we look at, look, have, what have we looked at? As a part of um, every school site plan, um, 
we prepare a detailed traffic analysis. That traffic analysis has been uh, prepared and is currently under uh, county review and review by the Virginia Department of Transportation. Uh, prior to preparing the traffic study, uh, we go through what's called a scoping meeting, which determines the parameters of the study, and that is set by the county and VDOT in collaboration uh, so that the applicant can provide the information necessary uh, to determine what the current levels of service of the roadway network is and what they will be with the improvements. Um, so he is correct in saying that, that the current status of Waxpool Road is a pave-in place, uh, and as a part of this project, uh, we fully anticipate that we will be upgrading that road um, to a VDOT standard. Uh, turn lanes will be provided as required uh, by the study and by the county and VDOT. With regard to the construction of the school in relation to uh, the widening of Belmont Ridge Road, what we propose to do is to limit our access uh, only to Waxpool Road until such time as the Belmont Ridge Road widening is completed. Um, uh, the, when we met, we were under the impression that it might be uh, completed in 2020. I think the staff reports this 2021, but we will keep that, that access, our internal street, closed to Belmont Ridge Road until such time as it is finished. Great, thank you. Uh, are there any questions, uh, further questions for staff or the applicant, Mr. Shield? So the, the lane, the new curved lane that goes from, uh, <clears throat> goes north and then northwest, so that's gonna be really the only access whereby some how many students will be getting? The capacity of the school is, uh, it's the CIP capacity is 928. Uh, and, and I don't know how many students the school will open with. That will depend on the attendance boundaries. Uh, we'll often open a school at less than full capacity, but we have opened some of them at full capacity. It just depends on where the attendance zones ultimately lie. And you really think a small two-lane road will be enough to carry teachers and parents and students and buses uh, for perhaps two or three years until uh, Belmont Ridge Road is four-laned? I, I wonder about that. We do believe that it will be, yes, uh, and we have tested that as a part of our traffic analysis. Um, what you have to do is kind of pan back and look at the larger network uh, in terms of that area. You have uh, roads that are parallel to the north and south, Turo Parish Road to the north. Mm -hmm. you can, people can take that road and come into Waxpool from the east to the school. The same is true to the south. Uh, there are uh, cross streets, and now with the extension and improvement that the county is doing to Claiborne Parkway, that will provide a north-south link for that entire network. And I'm sorry I didn't bring a good map that would show that overall, but uh, yes, that we believe that it will be adequate, and, and we've actually tested that to make sure that it is. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shield. Other questions? Mr. Kears. Um, just, just to confirm, staff, is 2021 the expected completion date of the four-laning of Belmont through there? I had this discussion with our capital infrastructure di uh, division, and yes, it's my understanding at this point in time, sometime in the spring of 2021. 
that's when it would be completed. Correct. Okay. And um, Mr. Bryan, did you by chance have the enrollment numbers and current and projected for the next few years for Hillside and Mill Run? I do, yes. See, Hillside presently, um, the, the, capacity, the base capacity of Hillside is 697. Its current enrollment is 797. Next year, it will be 822. In 2020, it'll go to 855. Uh, it pretty much holds around 850 throughout the CIP years. For Mill Run, um, the base capacity is 812. It has uh, this year 906, it drops slightly next year at 875, it goes back up to 903, and then at the end of the planning period, which is 2023, it goes to 948. That's pretty low for Mill Run. I remember the glory days when we had over 1,100 in there. <laughs> My kids were there. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, further questions? Seeing none, this is in the Broad Run District. Mr. Cheers. Um, just comments. Um, so I, I live right in this cluster. This this will now be the closest elementary school to my house um, right now, right between Hillside and, and Mill Run. So I'm very familiar with the numbers um, of, of students there. And they've just historically been over capacity and they've just learned to deal with it and live with it um, year in and year out. Even when it was significantly over capacity, they do manage to make it work. Um, I also know from all my years of involvement when the kids were younger and all these new schools, the process of trying to get new schools open, it seems like we need them uh, faster than we can actually find the land to build them on, and, and that this is a, a kind of an example of that. Um, although there isn't a, a tremendous amount of growth right in the immediate vicinity, I, when I say immediate, within a mile or so, there's probably, uh, there's several hundred units being built um, at Croson and Belmont Ridge, and as well as Goose Creek Village has another project coming online. So there will be several hundred more residential units that would feed this area. But as was pointed out, where all the growth is happening farther east and south towards Moorefield area, as that area tends to grow, um, we'll need other school capacity to help support that, um, which might mean some kids that are currently in the Moorefield Station cluster that tend to live more um, to the west of the school um, they may all be pushed farther west to this new school to allow more capacity for the growing area around Moorfield Station, Brambleton, and those communities to fill up those schools. Um, so I don't, one thing I've learned over all my years of watching and dealing with Loudoun County Public Schools is they're very, very good at the predictions they have as far as enrollment growth. And if anything, they tend to be slightly below what they expect. So um, I don't have any doubt that this school, as well as uh, several additional schools, will, will need to be. Uh, need to be built. And uh, my primary concern was about ensuring that there's very no uh, really chance of queuing to back up to Waxpool or Belmont. Um, but I think based on the information we have, the queuing that we see at Mill Run, which I'm very familiar with having been through it many, many times, um, uh, with this school's capacity for the queuing in addition to that access road, those concerns of mine have been alleviated. Uh, so with that, I move that the Planning Commission approve Commission Permit 2017-6, Dulles North Elementary School, based on the findings for approval provided as Attachment 1 to the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report and subject to the Commission Permit Plan prepared by Bowman Consulting dated August 11, 2017 and revised through November 16, 2017 
and forward it to the Board of Supervisors for ratification. Second. Motion is made by Commissioner Kerr, seconded by Commissioner Sisley. Any other comments? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye. <coughs> Opposed? Motion passes 9 0. Thank you. Thank you. Our next application is ZMAP 2016-0022, ZRTD 2016-0013, Special Exception 2016-0064, High Point East in the Broad Run District. Welcome, Mr. Peters. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, and good evening, Commissioners. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Uh, the applicant seeks to rezone two properties uh, to plan industrial parks under the revised 1993 ordinance and to increase the maximum lot coverage from 45% to 60% for both parcels. Uh, no specific uses or structures are proposed with the applications at this time. Parcels are located on either side of Pacific Boulevard and the Route 28 corridor. Uh, and this is in the Broad Run Election District. Uh, this area here is about three quarters of a mile south of where Wax Pool Road crosses Route 28. Uh, parcel three uh, to the west is approximately seven and a half acres. Uh, parcel 1A is 32 and a half acres. Uh, the surrounding properties, uh, especially the section between Pacific Boulevard and Route 28, are largely undeveloped. Uh, what is there consists of construction and technical services, uh, storage, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the um, things that I became aware of in the last day or two is that there is an electrical substation here that our imagery does not doesn't show in the aerial. Uh, the request is threefold. Uh, there's a Z map to rezone parcel 1A from PDRDP under the 93 ordinance to PDIP under the 93 revised. There's a ZRTD to convert parcel 3 from the 93 ordinance to the revised 93. It would remain PDIP zoning. Then thirdly, there's a specs to increase the lot coverage from 45% to 60% for both lots. As I mentioned, there's no specific use or structure uh, at this time. However, the concept development plan does include uh, six building areas, which you can see on parcel 1A, and then a seventh building area on parcel 3. In between the building areas are parking areas and circulation for on-site. Um, I'm going to bring your attention to a uh, proposed uh, right-in curb cut, which occurs right here. And additionally, uh, on this plan, you can see a proffered tree conservation area, uh, which would screen parcel 1A uh, from Route 28 views. Uh, the parcels as they currently exist are vacant without structures, largely forested. Uh, there are wetlands, which are represented in this kind of light green, um, these runs here. These, uh, these are considered uh, headwater wetlands, which is to say they 
more or less the drainage begins right here and runs downstream. Uh, they do drain to an impaired section of uh, Broad Run. Um, one of the other site conditions is this gas line easement, which you can see crossing uh, the north side of parcel 1A. Just to have a second kind of bird's eye view, this is looking uh, from the east side of Route 28, looking west toward the property. So this is the parcel 1A, that large one. This is parcel 3. Uh, you can see the utility easement running along here. Uh, and then the property, which is bounded by Moran Road and uh, uh, Relocation Drive, and then Pacific obviously runs down between the two of them. We have two planning areas uh, involved in this application. As you can see, the Route 28 business uh, is to the west side of Pacific Boulevard. So parcel three falls into the Route 28 business planning area, which would call for low and mid-density office and flex uses. Uh, Parcel 1A falls into the Route 28 core, which would envision premier, highly visible office clusters. Uh, these clusters would provide for high-density employment, and especially on parcels that are adjacent to Route 28, the policy would call for five-story building heights, um, and then uh, on buildings not immediately adjacent to 28, it would step down to four uh, stories minimum. The proposal, as it exists, uh, satisfies the Route 28 business uh, vision. So um, PDIP would provide for the set of uses that would be envisioned in Route 28 business. Uh, on Parcel 1A, uh, land use policies are not satisfied here. Now it's worth pointing out that there are a set of uses under PDIP that the applicant has proffered away. They've proffered away the most noxious of uses under PDIP with the exclusion of uh, data centers. <clears throat> uh, this is a challenging site, uh, both for the physical constraints, namely the wetlands and uh, the gas line easement, and also the tension between uh, the plan policies and the market for development. Uh, the following are issues that uh, the commission might consider in making their decisions. Land use along the Route 28 core, uh, it clearly calls out uh, high employment uses. Um, it's not fully met, it's a red flag, or it's just a, an item to be flagged. Um, there are instances of having, um, uh, having uses such as a data center built within the Route 28 core. Um, typically with those uses, we've asked for uh, design commitments that would more fully integrate it with the vision of 28 core. So minimum height uh, uh, and, um, and the like. Transportation is the second issue to consider here. Uh, the applicant and staff have not come to a full agreement on what is the appropriate uh, contribution for signals that would be at intersections. Uh, signals are called out here. Uh, you can see the one, two, five, and seven. Uh, these are intersections that would be expected to 
uh, reach a failing level of service post-development and therefore would require uh, signalization. Um, it's been the position of staff uh, that these signals that become requisite for a passing level of service as a result of development on this property should be the burden of the applicant and the applicant has proffered uh, a so-called fair share based on um, uh, the, the expected contribution of traffic with um, non-data center uses. Uh, the third item for consideration is that we have wetlands all through these properties. Uh, plan policy would set a first priority of uh, preserving the wetlands, incorporating them into the site design. Uh, second priority would be if we can't avoid the wetlands altogether would be to uh, provide mitigation on site. Uh, kind of the, the default uh, third option is that mitigation is provided off-site through the wetlands permitting process. At this point, uh, we've not reached um, a proffered commitment uh, to mitigate wetlands impacts or to avoid impacts to the wetlands. <clears throat> uh, the next issue to consider is just the lack of specificity. Um, I think the, the lack of uh, a proposed use or buildings has made it difficult to reach agreement on appropriate uh, impact mitigation. And this leads into the, the last point is just that the specs application to increase the lot coverage uh, just hasn't been justified if we don't know what's going there, uh, don't know why it's needed, and therefore uh, can't specifically uh, address impacts. <clears throat> I uh, saw that there were several questions from the briefing, uh, specifically are there other data centers in the Route 28 core? There are three within a few miles. Uh, I know that one that was uh, roughly two and a half miles uh, north uh, did proffer design commitments, including a minimum height. Um, other uses that are not necessarily envisioned for 28 core, such as storage, uh, have in the past proffered minimum height of uh, four stories. Um, does policy address data centers? Uh, and the answer is not specifically. Uh, the guidance from policy in the Route 28 core um, drives home that this is premier office space location for office clusters, for high intensity employment. And as we um, apply that to what would be allowed and, and it seems that the writing is on the wall for data centers, that the door is kept open for data centers, uh, policy just does not support um, data centers going there. As uh, we understand that there's been um, a middle ground that's been driven at um, when data centers have gone places that are not uh, strictly plan supported and that this has been achieved by uh, proffering um, uh, design commitments uh, such as minimum height, green construction. Uh, the options concerning the wetlands, I believe I ran through those a few minutes ago with the first priority being to, um, to avoid impacts and if impacts have to be, um, have to occur uh, to mitigate on site. <clears throat> so with that, the staff recommendation is to forward the application to a work session uh, to discuss additional opportunities to bring the proposal into compliance with planned policies. And I did run through these um, 
just kind of points of strategy for how we can meet in the middle. Um, so with that, uh, I'll be happy to take questions. And I'd also point out that we have Mark Drivis here from uh, DTCI to speak more specifically to transportation issues. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Peters. Uh, does the applicant have a presentation? Mr. Chairman, members of the commission, my name is Lou Canonico with Christopher Consultants, uh, representing uh, the applicant, Dulles High Point LLC. Uh, I would like to, uh, and Josh, maybe you can go back to the issues slide, because um, I'd like to respond to what the staff believes are issues with the application. Um, I'd like to start with the wetlands. Um, I think it's important to look at the site and the site constraints. Um, as Josh mentioned, there's a 100-foot wide uh, gas easement running through uh, the top third of the property. What's not shown on here, and in response to the request by the county staff, the applicant is reserving almost two acres of land at the very northeast corner of the property for a potential flyover for Moran Road. The, the wetlands and, and that what's, what's depicted on, on this drawing is the, the county's predicted wetlands. It's not the actual wetlands. The actual wetlands are uh, significantly larger than that. Uh, they, they impact about another two and a half acres of the site. Um, and if, if you follow that, if you follow what's shown on there, you can see where this, this water course goes. Um, I guess from the applicant's standpoint, the applicant cannot commit to not impacting the wetlands and have a viable economical site to develop. Clearly, if the applicant impacts wetlands, they have to comply with the state and county regulations in terms of mitigating those wetlands. There's a whole per permitting process that has to be gone through. Quite honestly, the Corps and DEQ don't, don't look favorably upon on-site mitigation. They prefer that you buy credits in the wetlands banks. The point being that the, the applicant can't commit to not impacting the wetlands, and if the wetlands are going to be impacted, they will follow the state and county regulations as to what's required to mitigate any wetlands impacts. The next issue I'd like to address is the transportation. Uh, I think it's important to understand, I don't think it was mentioned, this property, both both sides of the road, went through a rezoning in 1988 to a uh, planned development, research and development park rezoning with proffers. Part of those proffers was a dedication of six and a half acres of Pacific Boulevard that goes completely through the site. That proffer has been met, that right away was dedicated, and of course Pacific Boulevard has been, has been built. Um, the, staff's, the staff's concerns seem to be with these traffic signals. And the applicant's position is, is pretty simple. First and foremost, right now, the existing approval, existing rezoning does not require them to make any contributions to the, to the traffic signal. But Moran Road and Pacific Boulevard, Relocation Drive and Pacific Boulevard, those are existing intersections. There is existing traffic on those roads that cause conflict with the through traffic on Pacific. If this site doesn't develop and the background traffic continues to increase, there's going to be a need for traffic signals at those intersections. With the development of this site at 100% office, 
the percent of the conflicting traffic on relocation and Moran is 38 and 39 percent of the total traffic through the intersection. What the applicant has said is we will proffer to give 40 percent of the cost of the traffic lights at those intersections. Applicant believes that's their fair share. Um, again, the applicant's reserving and agreeing to dedicate at no cost the necessary right-of-way for the future flyover of Moran. They're dedicating additional right-of-way along the relocation frontage, improving relocation drive. In addition to that, there's a cash proffer that equates to almost $350,000 per square foot of building that's built at the site that can go for regional road improvements. So when you look at the total package of transportation-related items, the applicant feels that they have at least, if not exceeded, their fair share of mitigating their impacts. I would state that that, 40, that 38 and 39 percent is 100 percent office development on the site. If the site develops 100 percent data center, the traffic it's putting at those two intersections where the staff is asking for 100 percent of the signal is 2 percent of the trips through those intersections. I'm going to move to the, the, uh, the, the staff. The staff report talked about the conformance with the Reef 28 core policies and compatibility. As the staff pointed out, when you look at that picture, there is now a uh, substation across from Parcel 1A and, and north of Parcel 3. There's existing flex industrial uses. The property north of, across Moran Road from this site between Pacific Boulevard and Route 28 is being developed for data centers. AOL sold that property to a data center developer. There will be data centers on, those, on that property. If you haven't noticed, DV, DVP has run high tension, uh, high power lines along the wax, south side of Waxpool, west side of Route 28, down to relocation, down to this, uh, to the new substation. So, <clears throat> when, I had the pleasure of being heavily involved in the development of the Route 28 CPAM and, and clearly working with the county trying to develop a, a vision of what 28 could be. Quite honestly, that vision has disappeared. Back in 2011, there was no consideration of the data centers. When you look at Premier Office in the Route 28, you look at Dulles World, you look at Waterside, you look at Kinkora, you look at uh, the mall site, places like that. If office is going to happen in the 28 corridor, that's where it's going to happen. It's not going to happen on sites like this that have substations across the street, data centers, data centers and industrial buildings all around it, car dealership across Route 28. But the applicant has kept the option open. The site could develop as office. We, that is now a buy right use in the IP district. But so is data center. And, and the staff has indicated a desire to have this applicant proffer out data centers. In the county's general plan, the economic development policy say the county supports and is committed to the continuing growth and need for economically vibrant Route 28 transportation improvement district, both for the district's contribution to transportation improvements to Route 28 and to the economy of the county. 
Now this property is also in the Metro Rail Service District. What this applicant is trying to do is position this property to be developed to the highest and best use in terms of an economically viable project that benefits clearly the property owner, but also the county. As I said, the existing zoning, which allows office, has been in, in place for almost 30 years. Office has not happened on this site. The applicant will be thrilled if it does, but the, the applicant is trying to position the property to be the most marketable it can be for their benefit and also the county's benefit. So again, I think the applicant, in terms of if a data center is going to be there, what the applicant has proffered to, the zoning ordinance requires two of the six design elements for data centers. The applicant has proffered to three of those, but in addition has also proffered to materials and also the design of the front of the building. Both of those are specific design elements in the Route 28 core zoning district. So this applicant believes they have gone above and beyond. They don't have a data center use in contract. They don't have a data center user in hand. They really can't commit to specific, any more specific designs than that. So again, the applicant has tried to address all of the county concerns to the fullest extent possible and feels that this application as formulated uh, will work best not only for the applicant, but in the long term also for the county. Appreciate your consideration. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Canonico. Are there any questions for staff or the applicant? Mr. Kears. Um, this would be for staff. So the, the issue of traffic signals and you know, with, there's two different positions. The county was, uh, would prefer that they pay for like intersections or the numbers two, five, and seven. Um, clearly, two and seven already have existing traffic through there. Uh, number five would, if that the traffic generated by uh, for that light would be at the applicant's development, and they're in agreement with that. Two and seven. What's the as far as the county's perspective? Um, why is it that obviously there's a, there's background traffic already there, and if their proposal, if it is built to the highest, most intensive use, would generate 40% of the traffic through those intersections, A, does staff agree with that number? Um, why does staff expect the applicant to pay fully for both those lights as opposed to a percentage share. Was there a policy on that? that? Is it something that you can say, this is how it's done and we've done it this way previously? Um, so I'd just like some clarification on that. Sure. Uh, Mark Trifus from uh, Transportation and Capital Infrastructure. Uh, in regard to intersections number two and seven, uh, differentiating those from intersection number five, intersection number five is a site-generated intersection. Any of the traffic that would be approaching that, the sides either side would be site generated, but as you mentioned, Commissioner Kears, at intersections two and seven, that would not be the case. Um, a traffic signal is a, a, difficult, a difficult implementation tool. Similar to an extra travel lane, it will serve a certain amount of traffic once you get to a certain level. So, um, you know, there's a certain amount of traffic that an intersection can, can handle before 
now it's warranted for a traffic signal. In the case of this development with the proposed office uses that would be allowed by right, if uh, upon approval, the uh, both intersections showed that they would show a significant increase in delay of a level of service um, below acceptable levels, below D, and that with that additional 40%, that's a significant amount of added traffic to these intersections. Um, generally, uh, when we look at an intersection like this and that level of traffic is being added to a well-used intersection, that would trigger the need for a for a traffic signal. Additionally, along both Pacific or both along Relocation and Moran Road at this time, most of the the traffic using the, those approaches from the east to Pacific Boulevard would be uh, site generated traffic. So this is essentially a mix of a typical through intersection and intersection number five, where there's a significant amount of traffic that would be approaching from these sites. So this would essentially offset the uh, the amount of traffic at intersection number five and disperse it more evenly. Now, in regard to uh, something that uh, the applicant mentioned about data centers, staff is open to f identifying a fair share contribution for that lower trip generating use. So it would be for the full office uses that we feel that that would very much, that 40% would significantly tip the scales and require traffic signal for mitigation, which was identified in the applicant's traffic study. Um, so second part to my question was, are there cases you can show where we've other applications where and there's an existing traffic and then an application came in to build something that was going to increase that traffic and they were require, required to pay 100% of a traffic light in the vicinity to their project even though there's already background traffic there? Is that, I'm just looking to see if that is something that the county, is that something that the county normally does and is accepted or is it not? Yes, that is certainly something done before I can provide you a list of, of, of um, locations where that has occurred before. Um, and I would note that these intersections are adjacent to the parcel and, and the offsite intersection to the north was only a fair share contribution. Um, so last, last part on this and I'll be done with this. Um, so there's a certain amount of office or development they can do right now, as the applicant mentioned, by right, correct? Without having to contribute any more, anything towards traffic signals and, and the like. Is that correct? The, off, the applicant would be able to develop pursuant to their existing proffers. So if, and do those existing proffers require any contribution for signals? The existing proffers do include... Uh, transportation improvements, including a road through the site, um, and I believe a traffic signal that I'd have to confirm that. Okay, so what I'm trying, trying to get at is between what they can do right now with their existing set of proffers, um, does that degree of development cause these intersections to fail, or is it the, by increasing the FAR, which gives them more development potential on the site, is that what triggers it to fail? The existing approved development on the site was approved in 1988 and has not been analyzed with the existing road network so I can't can't comment on whether or not it would cost the right. existing road network to fail I, I just I guess would like to see what that kind of comparison is what they can do right now what traffic that would generate and what that impact that would have on these intersections 
versus what they want to increase to with the increased FAR, which gives them more development, and if that, what that delta is, and if that's sort of the, what kind of yeah. kicks it over. That's kind of what I guess what I'm looking for there. Commissioner Kears, I think this is consistent with most legislative applications are required to provide a traffic study and we analyze it based on the level of service policies. So we can certainly understand the arguments for what entitlements are today and what would not, would not be required versus what the traffic study says. So a lot of our assessment and recommendations are based on the level of service policies and the traffic impact assessed in their study. So sometimes we've had that red face test. Staff, why would you, why would you suggest this in light of what may or may not be required today. It's, again, assessing those policies based on the fact that it's a legislative application. Uh, Chair Summit, if I could change, we're changing gears a little bit. I just wanted to clarify, so the, the Nexus, the Ashburn Nexus application, which uh, Mr. Kanadika referred to, to the north, um, they're actually in for a legislative application, and one of the things we talked about is their similar inconsistency with the core. Uh, at present, they've agreed verbally to a minimum of two stories and design features which mimic an office complex or compound. So that's how we've tried to meet in the middle. In terms of that, I don't believe we have our second submission yet or the uh, proffers that would uh, outlay that, but we've had similar discussions and we've encouraged similar strategies for other data center development in the core. Thank you, Mr. Snyder. Uh, Mr. Priscilla. Just a couple for staff, just to make sure I understand it. I was gonna ask some similar questions as Commissioner Kirst did about the traffic, that would be helpful to know that delta because um, it seems <clears throat> reasonable to consider a fair share. Um, and I presume then it sounds like the old, you mentioned the old study was 88. So therefore, um, I guess it's hard to say when would that intersection not meet our level of service if this site didn't develop and were there county plans to do something about that in the interim? So the the for the lights he mentioned, I'm sorry for the two. So the 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 traffic study did analyze the background development to the site, and these intersections continue, the traffic at these intersections continue to grow and do experience a failing level of service. Do you remember uh, how far out into the future that was, roughly? More than five years? Less. Than I five think years? it was 2021, 2024 that was analyzed. It was within. Um, Five to ten years. Yeah, um, the, the 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 amount of traffic that that to the question that Commissioner Kearse asked as well that that again there is a level that where you hit a failing level of service, but a failing level of service could be a hundred seconds of delay or it could be more than that. So it, it continue could continue to intensify based on the proposed development. Current policy states that any intersection that does not meet a level of service D mm -hmm. needs to be remedied by. A, a proposed development if a significant amount of traffic is generated by that development. Okay, thank you. The other question I had to make sure I understand, um, it didn't really sound like the some of the, st most of the staff concern was about the use, the data center, but rather the aesthetics. I think the, the primary concern did begin with use because it, uh, if we were to allow for data center, um, we can let the conversation kind of move forward on that. It wouldn't be uh, an employment intensive use. Okay. As a way of meeting in the middle, it's been suggested in previous applications, you get the idea that we meet in the middle on, on uh, contributing to uh, an office aesthetic in the corridor. What would be interesting or helpful maybe as part of the envision process, I don't know how far along we'll be before we get into that, 
was our previous discussion about the data centers a little bit west of here wasn't an appropriate place. Now it sounds like Route 28 is not an appropriate place. I'm trying to, it would be helpful to know where would the appropriate place would be that would not conflict with too many of our plan policies where there's vacant property. That would just be useful to know. And the other issue relative to the design guidelines, the applicant mentioned he's meeting three of six that the current zoning ordinance would require and he offered there were some additional ones there meeting for the Route 28 district guidelines. Can I'm not as familiar with those. Is are are there some in addition to the normal ones that you would have to do? There are data center. There's a, there's performance standards for data centers. There's six pro, there's six elements. They've committed to three normally requirement two. Uh, we're trying to look through the materials. Uh, maybe helpful. Mr. Kanaka can expand on these other okay. design policies. So beyond just the data center, it would also be any other by right uses attention to design, I think we would encourage that as well. Um, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. We're starting to see these data centers expand beyond Bowmead and beyond the uh, data center alley. And so we're starting to run into these conflicts with these other areas, and that's why we wanted the commission to be deliberate in its discussions about it. So, Maybe the applicant, could you talk about those other design guidelines you talk about that you believe are helping to contribute toward meeting that a little higher bar? Yes, sir. Um, so as part of implement part of the implementation of the Route 28 CPAM, there were specific sections added to the zoning ordinance relating to development in the Route 28 corridor. And a lot of what is in those sections implemented the design that was anticipated in the CPAM. So the two sections that we, in, we added to the proffer, one was it proffers to specific building materials that have to be used. Now there's there's about eight or ten, but it, it again it's specific to the Route 28 and and the need to only be able to use those building materials to build your building. The second one related to the entrance and how the entrance to a building is treated. Basically, the design guideline wants the entrance of the building either to be recessed, in other words, not a just a flat, an articulated facade. Exactly. The, but the building entrance itself either recessed into the building or a projection out from the building. Okay, thank you. The, the other thing, if I could, um, we did in our traffic study look at the difference, the increased traffic between the current approved and the proposed. And yeah, Tushar Awar with Gorov Slate Associates, uh, we did look at intersections two and seven and of look at the delta between the by right or the underlying approval compared to the proposed use and the difference was in the five to ten percent range so I think our our proposal of forty percent is significantly conservative I think it's it, because we are we are accommodate, accommodating more than what the delta really calls for which is only about five to ten percent okay thank you mr. Shiel um, Mr. Chairman? Yes. So, Lou, I was able to, to look up. So we're looking at the proper statement right now. Many people don't realize that the Route 28 corridor actually has an opt-in set of districts. Unfortunately, to this point, no one has done, that, done so. So I was able to look up quickly, and, and I apologize we didn't flag this before, Lou. Was, there are specific design standards for those opt-in districts. And so in the first part of the proper statement, he's proffering to those design elements. We didn't catch that before. It would be unusual that someone has actually committed to the design standards given that no one's ever 
opted into it. So uh, my fault for not addressing that earlier. So. Thank you, Mr. Snyder. Mr. Schill, you have a question. The uh, height of a data center, what would be the maximum height of a data center? Proposed any any data center, 40, 45 feet, 35. I I don't know. If, I think the maximum height of the data center of, be, of a yeah. I think it would be based on the maximum height allowed in the district. The what clearly what controls the building height uh, is is the ec economics of building a building that high and what has to go into that building and, and what's needed to to uh, sustain what what's what's in those buildings. Uh, here in Loudon, I have to I, I I can't say I know I'm familiar with all the data centers, but I rarely have seen um, I don't think I've seen anything above three story. Forty-five feet. Yes, sir. Okay. What's the height of a four-story office building? Average. Sixty. So ten feet of floor, forty feet, forty to fifty. Forty feet. feet. What I'm driving at is that there's not that much difference between the height of a data center than there is between the type of office building that. Myself, Bob Clancher, and Kevin Rudicelli were proposing six years ago, and we were totally all wet in regard to what we had envisioned. We were on the ball when it came to cladding, in other words, what the buildings would be made of. But uh, it seems to me that there's not that much difference in the look of a well-designed data center along 28 than a well-designed office building. And when we think of it, why do people go on 28? They go there to the airport. They go there to switch between 7 and 50. They go there to uh, go to some function at a big hotel. Or they go possibly to visit the uh, Sully Plantation or the... Uh, Airfield. In other words, it's not really a destination road in a sense that links any historic area or important area of Loudoun. It's really sort of a artificial pass-through that was put through right after Dulles Airport. And I'm beginning to think that we've had so many applications that disagree with what we had incorrectly proposed for Route 28, that I really think that Mr. Kanonik has come forth with a very lucid and well-thought-out proposal. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Scheel. Uh, Mr. Jennings, do you have a question? I do. <clears throat> Mr. Schneider, what you're looking at in discussion, whatever you can share, property to the north was the AOL that's looking like data center the goal to mimic office building. Do the design standards that the applicant has proffered to, are they reasonably close to what you're trying to accomplish 
in the discussions with the AOL property? I would say on a cursory review tonight, I'm not comfortable making an affirmative. Okay. I believe once we have a chance to look at those other commitments that we overlooked, we can provide that feedback to you. Okay. Because given that, I think we're, a number of the points that have been made, we, you know, we've done this with many warehouses. <clears throat> we have taken something that historically was pretty unesthetic, and I think in the county we've done a pretty good job trying to raise the bar. And to me it occurs to be the same thing with data centers. That is going to be the future, whether we like it or not. Unfortunately, our policies are a little behind in trying to catch up. But I don't think that's any excuse for making them unattractive, and we have some examples of 436,000 square feet that I think is pretty unattractive. I wouldn't want to see that replicated on Route 28. So I think we can do a decent job. I think we can respond to the fact that the market's changing, and we're going to have to catch up with it. <clears throat> but to that end, that's the last thing I have on that. So if you could answer that, if we do, in fact, go to a work session, I'd kind of be interested to know that. That's all I'm looking for. They look reasonable and decent. If that's going to be our the, the, the future of what a lot of our properties will look like. The, the second one on the fair share, I understand the applicant's perspective. The other side is if we continue to grow, I suspect there will be another a number of future opportunities in which the balance of 60% will get paid. The question I'm asking is, do we have a way to protect the county against getting stuck with that? Yeah. Sorry. Here's what electric utilities do. If you want to move a mile off the line, you pay the whole freight, and then everybody else that connects, they pay you back. So that they're protecting an interest. I'm just asking, do we have any or have we ever looked at a means of trying to protect our interest? I think in this case would be is if they put those monies that are allocated, but there's not other opportunities either through legislative applications or by-right applications, ultimately the county would have to step in and fund the difference. I mean, a lot of property owners get together and they form road clubs. You know, they try to pool their resources to complete the network out of necessity and benefit to them. I don't know that this is necessarily the case here. You know, part of the question is what happens when Moran crosses over 28? How, how much of a significant change does that make to the road network in the area? One of the alternatives we had, we had kind of floated was looking at a fair share contribution for data center, uh, but maybe a, a sliding scale for their office. That maybe it determines at certain thresholds of development, they determine the warrants similar to what they're doing for the intersection at intersection five. So it differentiates that. I mean, it looks like, kind of looks like a duck, smells like a duck, data center is probably likely. But if it is to go this opposite direction, then maybe there's a way to uh, isolate that use in its, in its intent. Uh, so you have the low of the data center, the high of the office compromise there. Thank you. Further, further questions, Commissioner Barnes? Uh, I just have a small question for the applicant. Uh, you're not proposing data center there, are you? We're not specifically proposing data centers. The change in the zoning would allow data centers, but it would also allow office. Um, the, the, the current owner does not plan to develop the property themselves. Um, so somebody who may want to buy all or part of the property may develop it for office, may develop it for data center. <coughs> right now, we just don't know exactly what the use would be. 
Uh, is there any way you can give few of the things that might be coming up there so the staff can get some idea uh, what to expect there? Well, I... I N not pinning yourself down like this. I understand. I, I, think, I think you can look at the permitted uses in the zoning ordinance, and you can look at what's being yeah. built along Route 28 and get a pretty good idea of what's going to Can you narrow it down, though? Well, again, we've proffered out a lot of the more heavier or uh, more intense industrial uses. But again, this property has been sitting vacant for 30 years. We think it's in the best interest of the county, as well as the property owner, to try to get the property developed. To get a property developed, you have to provide flexibility. You have to provide an ability to adjust to the market. And we think if we get any more specific on proffering out uses, it, it, it'll make it even that much harder for this property to develop. One thing. It relates to the building height and these design. The county was was uh, very adamant about wanting to preserve a 60-foot tree save along Route 28. We've agreed to that. If any of you have driven along that stretch of Route 28, those are very mature trees, very high trees. So whether the building's behind it or two, three, four stories, quite honestly, I don't think you're going to you're going to see much of the buildings above those trees. Thank you, Mr. Barnes. Any other comments or questions? Commissioner Blackburn. Comment time or? Uh, it's not comment, sorry. I'm, I'll wait I, I meant question time because we still have to go to public hearing. Okay, uh, with that, we'll uh, enter public hearing. Uh, there's no members of the public that have signed up to speak on this application. Are there any members of the public in the audience that would like to speak tonight on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Mr. Kirst, this is in the Broad Run District. Yeah, um, so, so just to comment, as Mr. Kanaka mentioned, when, when the Route 28 CPAM was created, so I was on the Planning Commission, if you recall, when we did that, and I guarantee you the thought of the, the kind of data center growth we've had was not even something that was contemplated, um, and we were still hoping Metro would come out to Loudoun at that point. So those are, those are two significant changes that have happened over the last seven years that have kind of um, changed the world as far as what's happening here in Loudoun County. Um, I don't have an issue with data center use on this property, provided that it has a certain treatment because of the sensitivity being right along Route, you know, Route 28. You want it to look a little better than if it was in an interior property. Um, this corridor, which if, just by looking at that map, you can see the type of developments there. It's underneath the runways at Dulles, so it is sort of an appropriate place for the data centers to go. Um, there's some loose ends here I think that we need to kind of wrap up. Um, with the design, if it was to be data center, you wanted. I know Marchant, you said you wanted to take a look at those commitments uh, and and take a look at that again, um, kind of see if we can reach some conclusion or agreement on the traffic signal proffers, um, and if we do have to do anything with um, the wetlands mitigation of the counties, just looking for something a little more than, well, we'll address it when we get to that point. Um, so these are just kind of a couple of things I'd like to see resolved um, or try to get worked out um, when we get to work session. And if for the applicant and staff, if whenever you get together prior then to talk about this, I'd be more than happy to, to help, you know, work with you and facilitate that. Uh, so with that, I move that the Planning Commission forward ZMAP 2016-22, ZRTD 2016-13, and special exception 2016-64, 
High Point East to a Planning Commission work session for further discussion. So motion, is there a second? Second. Seconded by Commissioner Jennings. Any other comments? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 9-0. Uh, we're gonna take about a 10 minute break. Uh, if you guys don't mind coming back at 8.33, that'd be great. <coughs> Okay, welcome back. Our next application is SIDP 2017-0003, Sheets at Evergreen Commerce Center, Sign Development Plan in the Blue Ridge District. Mr. Farron. Thank you, Chairman Salmon, uh, Planning Commissioners. This ap application is a request for alternate sign standards for a sheet service center. Subject 3.2 acre site is located east of Evergreen Mills Road and on the west side of Loudoun County Parkway in the Blue Ridge Election District. The property and all surrounding parcels are zoned Plan Development General Industry. The site was previously appro approved for a fueling station with a convenience store and car wash. This SIDP would specifically modify the quantity, size, and height of signs as permitted under the revised 1993 zoning ordinance. The proposal includes 37 signs with a total sign area of approximately 335 square feet. The X's on this map mark fuel pricing and dispensing device label signs, which do not count toward the overall permitted signage allowance under the zoning ordinance. Proposed building mounted signs for the convenience center are scaled appropriately for the size of the building and use. 12 total signs are proposed totaling approximately 140 square feet in area the largest of those signs being 26.6 square feet. The south and east elevations, which do not face site entrances, include minimal building mounted and door signage as well. A separate car wash structure includes six building mounted signs totaling approximately 40 square feet in area. Uh, the proposal also includes two pole mounted signs to assist with navigation to the car wash facility. Other proposed signage includes a 15-foot tall, 66-square-foot pole-mounted monument sign, 14 small pump topper and logo signs, and a 35.5-square-foot canopy sign. Overall, staff finds that this request is in keeping with similar SIDPs and appropriate for the site scale and range of uses proposed. The zoning ordinance does not permit additional signage for uses accessory to auto service stations. Um, that is to say that the same aggregate sign area is allowed regardless of the number of uses proposed. Staff finds that the convenience store and car wash functions warrant additional signage in this case to identify those separate uses and to provide assistance to patrons. This is in keeping with previous approvals for service stations with multiple accessory uses. Uh, staff supports a recommendation of approval for this application subject to conditions and I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, the applicant is also here to answer questions. 
Thank you, Mr. Farron. Does the applicant have a presentation? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I do not have a presentation, just a few comments. Uh, for the record, my name is Michael Romeo, and uh, the affidavit uh, for notice uh, for mailing and posting has been submitted. This is a simple uh, signed development plan application following up on the automobile service station special exception that was approved last year by the Board of Supervisors. Uh, this is actually a fairly modest proposal and compared to other sheets, um, uh, gas stations around uh, the area. Uh, it doesn't include any uh, window signs per se and other signage. This is mainly uh, required because of the car wash that's being proposed. It's as an additional element for additional signage. Most of the signs included in the sign package are relatively small in nature and more or less for wayfinding uh, throughout the site. Uh, with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions you uh, may have this evening. Thank you, Mr. Romeo. Are there any questions of staff or the applicant? Seeing none, we're in public hearing. There's nobody signed up for this application. I don't understand why. Uh, is there anybody in the audience that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Mr. Priscilla, this is in the Blue Ridge District. Yes, Mr. Chairman. I move that the Planning Commission forward SIDP 2017-003 Sheets at Evergreen Commerce Center signed development plan to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval subject to the conditions of approval and based on the findings for approval provided as attachments one and two to the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report. There's a motion. Is there a second? Seconded by Commissioner Blackburn. Are there any other comments or questions? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye opposed. Motion passes, 9-0. Thank you very much. Our next application is ZRTD 2017-0012. BOMI 32A and 32A1 in the Broad Run District. Welcome, Ms. Marsh. Good evening. This is BOMI 32A and 32A1, a zoning conversion for 10 acre, a 10-acre property in the BOMI Corporate Park. The property is in the PDIP zoning district and the applicant is requesting to convert the property to the revised 1993 zoning ordinance. Currently there is a 79,000 square foot building on site and the PDIP zoning district allows up to a 0.6 Florida area ratio which would enable the applicant to build up to approximately 260,000 gross square feet of development on the site. The applicant is proffering to a shared use path along Loudoun County Parkway and at the request of the Planning Commission, the applicant will be connecting the proposed trail to a trail that is currently under construction along the property to the north, and these two trails will connect under the WNOD bridge. Staff does not have any issues with the application, and we support a recommendation of approval subject to the applicant's proffer statement, and I would be happy to answer any questions. Great. Thank you, Ms. Marsh. Uh, does the applicant have a presentation? Good evening, members of the commission. My name is Molly Novotny. I'm an urban planner at Cooley. Um, we uh, reiterate staff's uh, presentation. We appreciate staff's support of the application, and we have agreed to work to connect our on-site trail with the off-site trail that is being constructed by the applicant to the east of us. Um, and that does include an off-site portion, so we will need approval from NVRPA to do that trail, and so our proffer requires us, or our proffer is subject to getting that approval. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, are there any questions of staff or the applicant, Mr. Priscilla? Mr. Shiel? Um, just that the uh, staff might want to correct some of the directions under location site 
access on the uh, second page. In other words, it's located east of Bonemead Circle, and it's located north of Loudoun County Parkway, according to the directional arrow on the map. I'll make those changes. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Shield. Uh, any other any other comments or questions? Uh, seeing none, we're in public hearing. Are there any members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Mr. Pierce. <laughs> I move the Planning Commission forward ZRTD 2017-12, Beaumont 32A and 32A-1 to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval subject to the proper statement dated November 15, 2017 and based on the findings for approval in the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report. Second. Motion made by Commissioner Keir, seconded by Commissioner Sicily. Any other comments? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes, 9-0. Thank you very much. Our next applications, um, we're going to do concurrently uh, the next two. So uh, we'll be seeing uh, ZCPA 2017-0004, ZRTD 2017-0004, Special Exception 2017-0002, Guilford Station North in the Broad Run District, uh, and simultaneously with special exception 2017-0003, special exception 2017-0004, special exception 2017-0005, special exception 2017-0007, Guilford Station South, also in the, uh, uh, this one's in the Sterling District. Uh, Ms. Marsh, welcome back. Thank you. As the chair just mentioned, I will be going over these requests separately and I'll be providing a recommendation at the end. The two applications, Guilford Station North and South, are shown here in yellow and the green line divides the northern and the southern portions. The properties are located adjacent to Route 28 north of the airport, Dallas Airport. They're on the north side of West Church Road and Atlantic Boulevard is to the east and together the sites represent 32 acres. Here's a different perspective of the site. This shows a clearer picture of the property's frontage onto, onto Roriton Road to the northeast. And as you can see, there is a large amount of tree cover on the northern portion of the property. The applicant is requesting a zoning concept plan amendment to amend and replace previously approved proffers and a concept development plan associated with the previous map amendment. A zoning conversion to convert the subject property to the revised 1993 zoning ordinance and a special exception for an outdoor storage vehicle use. The site is proposed to be developed as a 10-acre storage lot that will be used to store and park vehicles that will be associated with the rental car vehicle, the rental car use that, will, that is proposed to be developed on the southern portion of the site. Access to the northern portion of the site will be provided from the southern property. The southern portion of the site is approximately 16.7 acres and will be accessed via Atlantic Boulevard and a right in from West Church Road. The applicant is requesting special exception approvals for a vehicle sales and rental facility, a convenience store with gas pumps, a 5,700 square foot restaurant and a 3,650 square foot restaurant 
and either one of these have an option for a drive-through. So not both of them will have a drive-through facility, just one of them. The development layout proposes a vehicle <laughs> rental, the vehicle rental facility and the gas station on the western portion of the property and the potential to develop two restaurants on the eastern portion of the property. And the blue boxes show, will represent the possible locations of one of these two restaurants. So the two restaurants could be developed on one of the three blue boxes shown here. And again, only one of those restaurants will have drive-through facilities. To address the questions from the Planning Commission briefing, uh, the, app, the, the Planning Commission asked about the perimeter screening for the storage lot. The applicant will have to provide type four screening and this is only for an outdoor storage vehicle use and this is a requirement of the zoning ordinance. The use itself has to be completely enclosed and screened and depending on the yard the use would face, whether it's a front or side yard, a minimum of 20 to 25 foot width would be required. And again, this is just for the vehicle storage use. If a site were to develop as something else, the screening would not be guaranteed. I will let the applicant provide the number of cars that they are proposing. Um, for the volume of traffic, the applicant did provide a traffic generation memo for the rental car facility and that was reviewed by DTCI. The study provided trips for an existing rental facility and DTCI found it to be sufficient for determining trip generation for the proposed use. And this memo concluded for an existing rental car facility there were 140 average daily trips. We also had a question about the Old Sterling Design Cabinet, and I wanted to note that the Old Sterling Guilford Station Design Charrette, we had two meetings in February and March of this year. The work of the Design Cabinet aimed to help reinforce Loudoun's sense of place, identity, and community, as well as encourage the highest quality environment through urban, architectural, landscape, and ecological design. The second Charrette session focused on considering the comments and discussion from the first Charrette and develop schematic diagrams with input from the community members and stakeholders. And each group worked independently to develop conceptual plans. So these three plans shown here, the properties that are under discussion tonight are lo located directly to the west on the other side of Atlantic Boulevard. The applicant has not responded to how their proposal would affect these areas, but we do note that the applicant was available, they were present at the Charettes. The applicant also has not addressed any comments that were made at the Heritage Review Commission meeting. And if the commission has further questions about the charrette, the old, the old Sterling Design charrette, we can provide a copy of that for you. And we can also have um, Chris Garcia available. He was an um, important component in that process. Chris Garcia is the community planning manager. At this time, staff has identified three outstanding issues. Both properties are identified in the Route 28 core and in the, in the revised general plan, which envisions these areas in particular for high quality uses or mixed use office development. The, the Route 28 corridor design policies have guidance on development in this area due to its high visibility along Route 28, and the proposal for standalone auto-centric uses as well as parking lots do not meet this vision. Although staff would typically support a conversion to the revised 1993 zoning ordinance, this property is in the PDGI district and that would allow for heavy industrial uses and this is not in conformance with the Route 28 core plan. Also, we do not believe that the applicant is adhering to the green infrastructure policies that call for the pre preservation and protection of forest resources. 
um, staff did note during the referral process that they would need to provide heavy landscape buffers for the use and we would encourage the applicant to provide tree conservation areas that they could use for their buffer requirements. And staff has added two conditions of approval for the Guilford Station South properties. The applicant may not be in agreement with these. This has to do with providing two bus shelters along Atlantic Avenue and also providing either building a trail or providing a cash contribution for a shared use path along the West Church frontage. With that, staff recommends that the item go to a Planning Commission work session, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Ms. Marsh. Does the applicant have a presentation? Yes, Mr. Chairman. Does Nancy open it up? You do it, okay. Thank you. Okay. And then where's my board? Is it in here? Okay. Um, good evening, members of the commission. My name is Christine Gleckner, and I'm a land use planner with the law firm of Walsh Colucci. With me tonight is also Kevin McWater from Walsh Colucci. Um, I was uh, responsible for handling the South application, and Kevin is responsible for the North, so we'll both be doing the presentation um, this evening. Also with us at the table are Andrew Saul with BF Saul and Todd Pearson with BF Saul uh, for the applicant. Um, we have a brief presentation. Uh, I'll try not to repeat uh, much of what uh, staff did. Um, but we have our own property context sign showing um, our site. Um, in total, uh, the opening slides, we'll just talk about the project in general, and then we'll talk about the north and south, respectively. So, um, again, uh, we are in the same Route 28 policies that um, uh, are not c compatible with what's the existing land uses surrounding us. And so our proposals are more in line with uh, current market realities and existing land uses. Um, as was stated, this, the total property is about 33 acres. Um, BF Saul has owned this land for 32 years. BF Saul um, buys and holds land. They are not um, uh, land sellers, so to speak. And so they um, are interested in providing the ultimate vision uh, the county has for this uh, land bay in the future when the market is there. But uh, it's clearly not an option at this point in time. And they are uh, seeking to make um, beneficial use of the property in the interim. Um, the benefits of developing the property in, in the interim time frame for near-term uses is that it puts the property to productive use that benefits both the com community and the county as well as the applicant. The community benefits from the elimination of vacant land, and vacant land can cause problems which range from just being an eyesore to being an attractive nuisance to actually being a security problem. I'm not saying that's the case now with this property, but that 
has been experienced with other um, vacant properties. Um, the community will also benefit from the commercial services that are proposed to be provided on the C1 portion of the property. Um, and again, once an investment like this is made into land, that frequently spearheads investment, further investment in properties around it. And this is an area that um, possibly could benefit from that kind of a injection of um, improvement and in investment. Um, the county benefits, obviously, from the increased tax base. And in particular, this property is in the Route 28 tax district and um, will further add to those funds in addition to county property tax revenues. Um, the other thing we've tried to point out with our application is that the auto rental and auto storage business portion of the property is a support use for Dulles Airport. Um, the intended user will be Enterprise, and they have an airport operation that they need to expand. They are limited in the land area at the airport and have been seeking property in the vicinity of the airport to allow them to expand their business. So there's an indirect benefit to the airport, which obviously also benefits the county. Um, another factor about this proposal at this point in time is that BF Saul is using the, the revenue that this development will provide to fund the expansion of utilities to this property. They have to be extended from the west side of Route 28, which means boring under Route 28 to bring the utilities over. And they believe investing in that improvement at this point in time will better position the property when the office mixed-use market comes here. If the utilities will be there, that development will not have to bear the cost of that. This interim use um, will bear that cost. Um, and then um, finally, because BF Saul is interested in a different use in the long term, they are structuring the leases with these users that will enable them to redevelop the property in the future. So they can't state now what that time period will be, but they are structuring their deals so that if and when the right time comes, they, um, they can um, end their leases and allow the future uses to occur. Again, just to reiterate, um, the north is the property in yellow, and that's the PDGI zoned portion. And the C1 portion is outlined in red. And so the interesting feature is C1 is still subject to the 1972 zoning ordinance. So the C1 portion is pursuant to that. So here's the uh, C1 site specifically. And um, Jackie's already described the uses, and so I'm just going to review briefly the access. And we're starting with the south because access to the north is through the south, as well as the north use is related to uh, the car rental use on the south property. So the primary access for the property and the full movement access is from Atlantic Boulevard on the east side. And um, we will have an east-west road coming into the property, an internal private roadway, not a public roadway, to serve the various uses. 
and um, we will be constructing the uh, traffic signal at that intersection with Atlantic Boulevard. We want that signal uh, as much as anyone else, so as soon as it's warranted by VDOT, we will be putting that signal in. And then there's a north-south internal driveway uh, through the property, and that will be served by a secondary access, a right-in only from Church Road, and then once you pass the first entrances, the, in that north-south internal driveway will be a two-way driveway. And it, both of these uh, private driveways will have public access easements that will allow, you know, obviously public traffic, but also providing the access to the north. Um, we've provided an illustrative drawing of how this could um, potentially develop um, given the layout and this uh, special exception plat and the zoning concept plan. Um, again, as Jackie said, we're showing three potential restaurant pad sites. Only two can be developed, but the point of this is just to show potential locations for the pad sites. Um, but what, by bringing this site up to current standards will allow, um, you know, the extensive landscaping that's shown along there. The internal roadways will have walkways on both sides as well as street trees, that type of thing. Um, just to provide background, um, the applicant did do extensive community outreach um, before they started before even filing the application. So as staff indicated, they attended the Sterling Design Charette. Um, again, that was, I think, evident from their sketches that the Design Charette was for the property to the east of us and did not include our property. Um, they also met with the Sterling Foundation, and then they were at a Sterling community meeting that was organized by Supervisor Sains. Um, we, they went back to the Sterling Design Charette, and then they also met with the Sterling Ruritan Club. So um, they've uh, been out to the community pretty extensively. Um, part of our, uh, the commitment that was made uh, as a result of these community meetings was to provide some kind of amenity within the project that the community could use. And what was arrived at was um, creating the stormwater management pond on the, that's on the C1 property um, to be a year-round wet pond and then provide a trail around the pond and then a gazebo feature as a focal point and a gathering place. So this could be an area if uh, for community members to, you know, to walk their dogs and come and visit and have a place to sit. We also think that uh, WNOD trail users could very likely come into the community, either stop at one of the restaurants or the convenience store to get refreshments and then um, take a rest here or grab a bite to, or, you know, grab a bite to eat. Um, to that end, we are providing an access to the WNOD trail at, uh, at the Atlantic Boulevard intersection. That's a location where the trail is at a good elevation with our property, and we will be providing a pedestrian signalized inter uh, signal there to enable uh, safe crossing of Atlantic Boulevard.
All right, so now I'll turn this over to Kevin for the North. Good evening, Mr. Chair, members of the Planning Commission. Um, again, for the record, my name is Kevin McWhorter. I'm a land use attorney with Walsh Colucci, and I represent the applicant with respect to the Guilford Station North set of applications. Um, most of the uh, salient uh, aspects of the uh, applications have already been uh, covered, but um, basically what is proposed on the north here is a um, uh, an outdoor vehicle storage lot that would serve the uh, enterprise rent-a-car regional business, not just the um, uh, proposed uh, building on the southern properties. Um, what uh, enterprise has been looking for really is um, a place to store their vehicles, uh, particularly with um, uh, Dulles Airport, their uh, um, operation at Dulles Airport. They've uh, been finding that the space is not adequate to accommodate uh, uh, their growth. Um, but also uh, the outdoor storage lot would accommodate um, uh, the regional um, uh, uh, business and as they have to transfer cars to meet demand in other uh, areas around uh, the Northern Virginia region, um, in addition to serving the property on the south. <clears throat> Now, as uh, uh, Chris mentioned, access would be provided uh, via public access easement over the internal spine roadway on the southern properties. Um, and uh, it's important to note that uh, Enterprise will be maintaining the uh, outdoor storage lot in a secure manner. Uh, uh, only employees will be permitted onto the uh, storage lot on an as-needed basis to retrieve cars or to circulate the ve uh, fleet vehicles to uh, provide for the regional business. Um, uh, again, customers will not be going on there to retrieve vehicles. Employees will be retrieving vehicles to uh, bring onto the southern property. To address the um, uh, questions raised in the uh, uh, Planning Commission briefing, uh, as far as the number of cars that will actually be stored on the lot is concerned, um, now this is a 10-acre uh, storage lot that's proposed, at less uh, acreage um, for drive aisles and landscaping and that sort of thing. Um, so we do not have a specific number of vehicles that would uh, actually be able to um, be stored on here. This won't be parked like a typical parking lot, so it's difficult to say. And not only that, but uh, the um, number of cars will fluctu fluctuate greatly as uh, uh, demand dictates throughout the region. Um, uh, so it's difficult to put a number on there, but this is a 10-acre storage lot, and um, uh, Enterprise will make sure that they can use uh, this space as efficiently as possible. Um, and uh, um, again, to uh, address another uh, question that the Planning Commission had brought up in terms of buffering, uh, of course, the uh, applicant will be um, uh, meeting all of the zoning ordinance requirements for buffering uh, as required for this type of use. Um, and just to uh, briefly conclude, um, again, to reiterate Chris's comments, this is uh, proposed as an interim use. Um, as far as interim uses go, this is the uh, type of use is the one of the easiest to redevelop. The infrastructure is going to be there. There won't be any buildings to remove, and um, 
uh, ultimately um, paves the way to uh, a, a different use if the market demands in the future. Um, and again, with that, uh, uh, happy to answer any questions, and I respectfully request that um, the commission favorably consider this application this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. McWhorter, and thank you, Ms. Kleckner. Are there any questions for staff or the applicant? Yes, Mr. Priscilla. Okay, tonight. Um, mostly for the legal side of the house, I guess. Um, from the staff report, it mentioned that it would be difficult for two reasons to have an interim use. One, difficult to impose, and then difficult to enforce. And I just want to see if I could understand what drove you to those conclusions. We don't have a definition for interim uses. We don't have temporary uses. So there wouldn't be any legal mechanism we could see that would, we, we could impose upon the applicant to say, you can only have this for a certain amount of time. So we don't have any legal mechanisms to go about that. Okay. So I would take it then we don't have any similar situations in the county today that we're aware of? Not that I'm aware okay. of, no. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Priscilla. Mr. Barnes. Uh, I have just a couple of questions. Uh, staff is looking to uh, protect some of the uh, trees are already there. Are you doing anything to save some of those? Or I don't see in your landscaping and all that that you got any trees left. You wipe them out, then you put new uh, planting yeah, yeah. or whatever you have done. Correct. Um, the, um, we do need to clear the site for these uses, so the plan okay. here is to place new landscaping and screening and buffering and strategically locate it. I'm sure if when they get to that point, if there's existing trees that can be used for that, they would try to save that, but that's not something we can commit to at this time. Um, one thing that we have agreed to for the south applications in the C1 district, in the 72 ordinance, there's not a tree canopy requirement, and so we are agreeing to meet the current tree canopy requirement. Um, the other difficulty we ran into, there were a couple large specimen trees, but one in particular was located right where, um, where the entrance drive is to Atlantic Boulevard, and we don't have flexibility. That entrance location is dictated to us by the road design and the, the road cutout that was put in there. So we did look at trying to do that type of thing and the, the uh, trying to at least save some specimen trees, but the locations were not in areas that it could be done. So you're not going to do that. Uh, second question, are you saying this is interim or temporary thing, but you're proposing restaurants there, you're proposing a rental, car rental and car sales. That doesn't sound to me as an interim or temporary thing because nobody's going to build a restaurant thinking that any time that when you say, hey, uh, it's time for us to build it, we are ready, you're going to have to wipe them out, you have to kick them out of there. So that doesn't look like very temporary to me. So why don't we go into it as a permanent rather than temporary? Are you going to say that it's temporary or still going to say permanent? What is um, when somebody spends the money and builds the restaurants and starts their business, you know, it could be for 30 years. 
Absolutely, Commissioner Barnes. I mean, when we say a temporary use, we are putting a use in the property that will generate tax revenue and makes the site viable at this point. Um, I think Commissioner Kearse said it best. It's a temporary use. As soon as there are high, is a higher and better use where there's demand for the site, we have every intention to redevelop. Um, the reason we're calling it a temporary use is when you're looking at what you're putting on the site, it's essentially a parking lot and it's one-story buildings. Uh, so from a capital investment, it's about the least investment you can have from a capital standpoint, which makes it much easier to then go to a higher and better use at a different time. If we were going with a higher intensity density, that makes it much harder to go to a, to a higher use. So you're going to tell all those businesses you're going to bring in there, they're, they're there for temporary time only. Is that what's going to happen? Right? We are signing leases with termination rights in the future, yes. Uh, okay, thank you. Um, and for the record, Mr. Pearson, if you could just introduce yourself. I'm sorry, my name is Todd Pearson. I'm a senior vice president with BFSOL. Thank you. Other questions, uh, Mr. Jennings? Just one. <coughs> Mr. McWhorton, you mentioned you'll adhere to all current buffering and screening, I think is the term you used in 72. What specifically is required for this site? And corollary question, what can you do to prevent it from looking like the car lot that's immediately across Route 28 and making it look like um, section of Route 10 in California that's nothing but car dealerships? Um, well, this uh, application, once uh, it, uh, assuming it was approved, it would uh, be moved into the revised 1993 zoning ordinance on the PDGI site. Um, which, uh, according to staff, would require Type 4 buffers um, uh, to screen. And the Type 4 buffer um, in the uh, front, or excuse me, in the uh, side and rear yards uh, require a, um, um, a, a opaque screening or um, a, a berming of some kind. Um, and to the extent that it, that's required by the zoning ordinance, um, uh, the applicant's more than happy to uh, adhere to that. Commissioner Jennings, if I could follow up with that. Uh, the use itself has to be screened. Um, in the PDGI zoning district, outdoor storage uses are required to have some sort of buffer around them, meaning like a fence, a wall, something of that nature. and this use, because of the sites that it faces, it would have to provide a type, at least a type four buffer facing Oriton Road and the residential property to the north. It would have to provide a type three buffer to um, facing Route 28. Again, it's only for this use. If they wouldn't come in with this use, we, we couldn't determine what the buffer requirements are now it would be determined at site plan with what they want to develop on there. If they came in with another PDGI use that they're not proffering out, the buffer requirements, could they could be different. Okay. Other questions, Mr. Pierce? You, you had mentioned, um, Jackie, that there was, you, going to the revised 93, there was some of the heavier industrial PDGI uses that staff is concerned that could be used on the site, is that correct? Yes. Uh, now, just as a follow-up to that, are some of those uses are ones that you can identify to the applicant as the applicant willing to proffer them out? And like, 
if they're uses they have no intent to use, they might be. I, I don't know what those uses are, if they'd even be willing to do that, but that might be a way to alleviate that concern. I, I think that's something we could work with them. I, I noted in my staff report there, there are 53 possible permitted uses and special exception uses, and they're only proffering, they're only prohibiting, I think, seven or eight. So we were looking for a, a more robust number of what they would be willing to not develop the site as. Have you had that conversation with them yet? Or you it was mentioned during the referral process, yes. Okay. okay. So we could continue to identify uses that we would not want to have on this site. Or they could just proffer to only a vehicle storage site. Okay. Okay, other questions, Mr. Shield? On page four, the uh, route 28, the, the type uh, blots out the parking setback and the building setback. It looks like building setback should be 100 feet and parking setback 75 feet. Am I correct? From route 28? Yeah, where you see the type route 28 in red on page four. Yes. It blocks out the distance. You see? It what, what, are the, what are the setbacks for parking and building? It's a 100-foot building setback and a 75-foot parking setback. Okay, I was correct. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, I would certainly, if this application is approved, I would certainly opt for a Class 5 buffer along Route 28 and also a very strong buffer on the south side of the storm water pond because that whole uh, parking lot site will be open to view uh, right in back of the pond. And um, I think there should be a strong buffer in that particular area as well. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shield. Um, can I get some clarification along Route 28? What is the um, proposed buffer type? Is that a three or a four? Right now they would be required a type three buffer. Okay. All right. And um, I have a couple of other questions. Can you clarify the, um, I guess these are not proffers right now, they're conditions of approval, um, location of the bus shelters? And the uh, specifics of the trail that we're, where we are on the trail at this point. So staff has recommended conditions of approval that would require the applicant to provide two bus shelters um, at the, the intersection of Atlantic Boulevard and then the future access into the property. Um, like I said, we would want two bus shelters along either side of Atlantic, Atlantic Boulevard. And as far as the trail, we asked the applicant to either build a trail along West Church Road or commit to a monetary contribution to provide to the county to build the trail. And, and exactly where does that go, just along their property line? Correct. We were looking for the trail along the property's frontage. Okay. Um, so question for the applicant, uh, where are you on, uh, on these two conditions? Are you fine with those? Two conditions, you want to build bigger trails, lots more bus shelters? 
from our point of view on, on Church Road, we, we have agreed to build the trail down to the entrance on our site. We've also agreed to give the easement uh, down to the interchange uh, along the front of our site. And the conversations we had with the community as uh, well as the district supervisor, uh, one of the thoughts we had is the interchange is not built for the bike lane or for any kind of pedestrian crossing. Uh, and therefore, we'd be putting in a sidewalk that, if it were ever going to lead to anywhere, would have to be torn up and redesigned. Um, so that is one of the reasons we looked at creating a walking trail within the site as well as creating a gazebo. So that was one of the considerations of that, is that that would be better used for that area. Uh, in regards to the bus uh, stop, we did not see um, anywhere else in the county where somebody is being asked to provide, to provide a second bus stop off of their site. Um, we do not own the land across the street. Um, we are more than happy to provide the bus stop on our side. Um, but we, we have not seen where anyone is providing both bus stops. Okay. Um, can you, somebody, maybe staff or the applicant, can you explain to me if I'm on this property and I want to um, go for a jog or a bike uh, onto the Washington and Old Dominion Trail, what's the most appropriate way of getting there? Mr. Um. Pearson? Certainly. Uh, there will be, you can see the curb cut on Atlantic Boulevard that leads into our property from the east, I guess. Okay. Uh, you would go, that would be a signalized light. And so you'd go directly across the street and there is access to the WNOD trail right there. And you could go either direction on the trail. Right along Ruritan or like a diagonal? Uh, like sorry, a diagonal. If you, it, closer to Church Road, the curb cut right where your cursor just was. So there's an internal street that comes in there. That is where our curb cut is. And there would be a signalized intersection at that point with a pedestrian crossing. So you could cross the street right there at that, and it leads directly to the WNOD trail. Okay. And that's at, at grade? Yes. I don't have to, like, carry my bike up 30 feet? You do not have to carry your bike. Okay. No, sir. Okay. Other questions, Mr. Shield? What is the contour level of Route 28? the boundary vis-a-vis -vis the contour level of the proposed parking lot. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen a contour map. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is one. But is, does someone have a one right handy? In other words, I'm trying to find out whether the site is lower or higher or the same, about at the same size as uh, same height as the road. Uh, yes, sir, Luke Canonico with Christopher Consultants. Um, basically, on the northern part where the, where the parking lot is going to be, the, um, the site is basically level with Route 28. Mm -hmm. um, the, the site is higher at the southern boundary of the northern portion and then starts to fall as you go north, but it's it's a fairly flat site. There's not a lot of topo on it, and it's <laughs> relatively. If you're driving down 28 and look to the right, it's it's basically. How many feet higher at the highest point? Uh, looks to be about uh, six feet higher. Six feet higher. Center of the property. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shiel. Other questions? Uh, yes, Mr. Lloyd. 
Yeah, for the Enterprise facility, will there be a fueling station for the rental cars at the Enterprise facility? Uh, hi, Andrew Saul of the BSL company. Um, no, there will not be any fueling stations at the Enterprise location. So with 10 acres of cars, there's no means to, to fill the tank on that property? They will not be having a fueling station at that location. Okay, thank you. Other questions? Yes, Ms. Sigler. Mr. Chairman and, and Commissioner Priscilla, I, I want to correct myself from the question <laughs> that was asked before. Um, Mr. Marathy reminded me of the Bluemont Nursery application. This is, that was a special exception, uh, specs 2012-0031, and the nursery was seen as kind of an interim use because it was in the Route 7 corridor. And we actually did have a condition of approval um, that in condition number five is termination of approval. The special exception for approval specs 2012-31 nursery commercial use shall cease and terminate 20 years from the date on which the special exception is approved. Um, so that was, you know, specific to that use um, I mean, but again, this is this is really rare, um, and I'd want to. I certainly haven't looked at it in the context of of this application, but I just wanted to to let you know that I, that's the one instance that we could think of. Thank you, Ms. Sigler. Uh, okay, so this is in uh, two districts. Uh, oh, sorry, we do need a public hearing. So. Uh, are there any members of the public uh, signed up to speak, Nancy? Uh, are there any members of the public in the audience that would like to speak on this application? Yes, ma'am. If you could please uh, stand up, uh, come to, to the uh, uh, podium, uh, state your name, and then when you're done, if you could fill out a speaker slip uh, over on the small desk. Thank you. Hi, can you hear me okay? Okay. My name is Carol Case, and... Um, I'm a citizen and resident of Loudoun County, and I've lived there over 40 years. I may not look it, but I have. <laughs> but I moved there because it was considered rural or wasn't as congested down as, as Tyson's. And I love the green space and the activities out there. But I must say I'm very disappointed with hearing this presentation and the plan being presented and I've heard it a couple times before, and uh, each time I get a little more, <laughs> I don't know, emotional about it, uh, because I just feel like um, Loudoun County, again, I moved there, that I would like to see an area where I can go to a restaurant and see green space and trees, mature trees, not concrete, and cars being parked there. Um, I have no interest in going to an area like that or bringing friends or family. Um, and uh, this area that they called a lake at the town hall presentation or to the community with a gazebo, it was a lake, not, a, not what they're calling now a um, pond or storm management pond. I don't think of that as a lake at all. I don't think ducks and geese are going to want to land there. It's going to be filled up when there's a lot of rain. Otherwise, it's going to be a mud puddle. And uh, again, I don't want to look at that when I'm sitting in a restaurant. And they had advertised it that it would be a high-end restaurant. 
this sounds like a drive-through Chick-fil-A or McDonald's uh, restaurant, and I have no desire to visit an area like that. Um, enough said. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Thank you. If you could please fill out a speaker slip uh, to your right, that'd be great. Uh, sir, if you could do the same, uh, please state your name and fill out a speaker slip when you've completed. Thanks, Chairman, uh, Commissioners. My name is Bill Ewing. We uh, bought a Civil War era house very close to the site. Uh, and um, we, a couple of years ago, came before you to ask permission to open a restaurant, which we are still working on. Uh, we've also formed a, a preservation committee, Save Old Sterling. And we envisioned that we'd like to somehow preserve what we saw when we came to Loudoun County, which was a historically significant stop on the WNOD. Uh, but we feel like it's in terrible peril right now. The, the area is in danger that parcel by parcel it's going to become Bank of America, Chick-fil-A. So um, when I think about this site, uh, it's very close to that area, and, and I, I recognize their need to develop the site, that they have money invested in it, and it's a shame that they must not have realized it was going to be so expensive to provide facilities for it when they purchased it. And I see the difficulty of trying to generate revenue from there. And they're my neighbors. I don't want to say that I oppose this proposal at all. I guess my concern is, is there any way that, well, I guess another point is that they're using the term Guilford Station, but this has really nothing to do with Guilford Station. And I fear that the time is going to become that all that's left is the name Guilford Station associated with a car rental lot. So maybe what I'm, I'm not sure what to ask for. Is there some way that, that uh, through proffer or something, that Guilford can be helped in this effort? That, that the site plan can happen, but somehow, so if you take this thing to work session, that's what I would ask, to somehow serve the community, because this plan doesn't serve the community. If you look on Google Maps or whatever, aerial view, tremendous number of houses off to the right. And, and I'd like to see something that brings people in and, and serves them. The, the rental car thing does not. It serves people that are south of us. I might also mention that a, a year or two ago, we came before you and asked you not to not let a church be torn down and put in its place a storage facility. That, that tremendously hurt the little that remains in Guilford. And um, that's now underway. So I'm just looking for whatever we can do to save the little bit that's left. That's all I have to say. Great. Thank you, Mr. Ewing. Uh, are there any other members of the public that would like to speak on this application? Seeing none, the public hearing is now closed. Uh, would the applicant uh, like a few minutes to respond to the comments? Um, I just really have one comment in response to the woman's comment about the stormwater management pond. It is going to be designed as a wet pond, which means it will hold water all the time. It will, it's, uh, and that will be built into the design. 
again, they're viewing it as a community amenity, so they're designing it to be as such. Thank you. Thank you. Um, does staff need to make any comments on anything? Okay, thank you. One, uh, one final question. Yes, final question. Um, I'm just trying to clarify whether there is or is not a condition or a plan for a trail along Ruriton Road in the, the north application. The only place there's a plan for a, a walking trail is across the frontage and on the site itself. I do not believe that they are proffering to anything along Ruriton Road. So, and the, and the county wasn't expecting anything along there? We did ask them... If they were going to provide access onto Roachman Road, we asked them to make improvements to Roachman Road. They did proffer out providing access onto Roachman Road, but we still would want to see some sort of trail sidewalk along that frontage. Because my only reason I brought that up is if you go down Roachman, other they mentioned the crossing at the traffic light at Atlantic to get to the WNOD. But as you, as you head to the northwest from there, it's really down in a culvert. You really can't get to the trail until you get to the end of Ruritan, and then it levels back out again. Um, so if there was a, 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 a you know a walking path that continued along Ruritan to where their property ends at the club there, then you could jump right across, and then you're on the WNOD. It's another way to access the trail without having to cross Atlantic Boulevard. Is that something you would want to? Yeah, it was something um, I was misunderstood from when I originally went through this. I thought that staff was looking for something there, but maybe not. When I, when I went around the site and just kind of walked it and drove through there, looking at the WNOD, I saw that as a great access point, especially if there's going to be a few restaurants there. Um, it would be a great way to come up the trail and right out of the property and then not have to, you know, if you're coming from the east, you would go, go or coming from the west, you'd go that way. Um, and it would avoid having to cross Atlantic Boulevard. Commissioner Kears, Mark Dreyfus from DTCI. Hello. Um, we had, in, in our initial review of this application, uh, asked for a sidewalk along the Virgin Road frontage as well as um, a connection between the WNOD trail and the site that would connect down to the southern portion of the site without requiring pedestrians to cross Atlantic Boulevard. We completed uh, yeah. one, one one review of the northern application because because to me I mean as far as a bus shelter um, they're nice and, and and I I get that if this was being developed more as an office park the bus shelter would make more sense but given that um, you know it's going to be three or four pad sites a gas station and the auto I don't know that there's going to be a great demand for a bus stop there at least and I would rather see a trail built than, quite frankly than a, than a bus shelter. Um, at such time as properties redeveloped, that's when it might be more appropriate for the bus shelter. But I th I th that's just my opinion on that. But the bus shelter's in the southern yeah, southern part, not the northern part. But. Thank you, Mr. Kirst. Um, does the applicant like to would like would the applicant like to respond? I'm I'm a I like the idea of having uh, trail access, and I like the idea of having more uh, paths, but I think what Mr. Kearse is asking for, and I might be incorrect, so please feel free to correct me, is you're asking for a trail along a road that they will not access, they don't have access to, they proffered it out. Um, and if they were to provide a, a trail along there, 
it doesn't get you to the WNOD uh, because there because there's a, a significant um, bump, and I would have to carry my big heavy bike up a big hill. Where? So there's a and flat. There's already, there's already a, a, a dirt trail that comes off the trail onto Roadbed. Okay, so Mr. Kearse, and I know Mr. Pearson is pretty familiar with this area. So, uh, is there a, a trail uh, in front of the rural, the Ruritan Club that would allow you to get to the WNOD? If there is a trail that's there, it is not a official. legal jumping off or official trail that is there. Um, the trail rises up to go over the overpass, and then it drops down. Um, I, I can't say for certain that there is no flat point as it goes through, um, but I do know for the majority of the entire length there, there's a there's a grade. But I, I can't say that I've been back there in the last you know, month or so. Okay. I couldn't say for certain. I was there on Saturday. I believe you. <laughs> so there, there is a there the the trail is is at a grade below Ruritan Road at that look. Right, it is below it, but it's right gentle. It's not like it is as you go farther to the southeast, where it's in a almost a, a big culvert, and you can see the trail. Right. It's been worn. People going up and down it all the time, jumping under Ruritan Road. So the path is actually worn through there. The county hosts a bike to work day station there every year. Yes. So. So, Mark, uh, since you spoke up, you get more questions. Good for you. Um, it looks like the restaurant uses are between the curb cut on Atlantic Boulevard and West Church Road. So if we and, – and if there's going to be a light there, uh, then we can cross Atlantic, and we're right on the WNOD, like there, and it's at, it's at right. grade. So would it really make sense for them to build – and there is a sidewalk along Atlantic – but does it make sense for them to build any sort of sidewalk or path along Ruritan Road, realizing that on the north side of their property, it's a, it's a going to be a parking lot? By the way, are, is there a fence around the parking lot? Or okay, yes. pretty, a nice pretty fence. Yes, sir, there is. Okay, uh, I heard pretty fence in there too. Um, wouldn't it, Mark, make sense for the for any users to e either those that are traveling along Church Road? Or along Atlantic Boulevard to it, to cross Atlantic at the traffic light, get on to the WNOD at this point, rather than going further up closer to the WND on the west side of Atlantic Boulevard, then go down Ruritan Road, then cross over. Does that does that make sense? Uh, the so in, when the land development legislative application comes in we generally ask for pedestrian facilities and or bicycle and pedestrian facilities along all public road property frontages which Ruritan Road is front regardless of access uh, the this would provide access to the Ruritan Club as well as to the WNOD trail um, unofficial access point that uh, Commissioner Kears uh, noted uh, the other thing that we were thinking about in this regard was providing a, an access between the WNOD trail and the site that would not require crossing a uh, four-lane road with two turn lanes, um, which is is with a crosswalk is a protected crossing, crossing but uh, pedestrians generally prefer not to 
cross that type of road and would prefer to walk a rather unobstructed path between the site and the trail. Mr. Pierce. But yes, the the crossing would provide that access. So 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 it does most of what it does, but you're saying it could be if you're on the west side of Atlantic Boulevard and on the east side of 28 cuz if you're on the west side of 28 you're just going to zip down on uh, uh, go through the CarMax area to go get to the um, well by the Honda dealer you get onto the trail there. Correct. If you're between 28 and and Atlantic which is really an enterprise rental car and three restaurants, uh, the Tart Lumber, and um, and a couple of other places. If you're there, then it would make sense to travel along the sidewalk on the west side of Atlantic Boulevard, require the applicant to build, I don't know how many hundreds of feet that is of trail, um, all the way to the end of their property at the Ruritan Club, and then people can go across this uh, path that it's unclear whether that's NVTA supported or not. Is that, that's that's where we are with this. Is that, am I right? The, re the request made was for a sidewalk along the property frontage. Okay. Ms. Pearson, do you want to comment? Yeah, I, I just want to point out one thing, and that is if we put a walkway along Ruritan Road, it is only on our segment of property. You would then have to go off the walkway onto Ruritan Road, and in order to get into our site, because we have no access on Ruritan Road, you would have to go all the way down to the exact intersection where we are providing the access. Because Ruritan Road actually goes underneath Atlantic and is at grade at that exact same point where we're putting in the light and the pedestrian intersection. So you'd be creating two paths running parallel to the same point. So the, so the path on Atlantic is a raised path? Yes, Atlantic is at a high, higher grade than Ruritan. Ruritan goes right. underneath Atlantic and then comes back up to grade. That's actually what, where that intersection is, is where Ruritan is back at grade with Atlantic, and you could turn right off Ruritan, almost making a U-turn, to move back onto Atlantic or to go left on Atlantic. So if you came up Ruritan Road on your bike, you'd be coming to the exact same point. And uh, Mr. Chair, I'd just like to clarify that the applicant has proffered uh, a public access easement along the frontage of Ruritan Road um, at such time as a, a sidewalk. Um, so it's just a matter of if they're not willing to, to proffer an actual sidewalk. That's correct. Okay. okay. Uh, any other questions on this one? Just yes. One Mr. Last Priscilla, one. we're ready to have a motion, but Mr. Priscilla has a question. Uh, it's a quick one. So it sounds like it's rare, but the county did do at least one interim use, which was time-driven. It sounds like your statements to some degree about interim use are event-driven. And I assume that those two would, don't meet. They don't necessarily meet. I can't predict when the timeline is. Um, we would like to have the... Uh, property income producing for as long as we can until a higher and best use would mean we'd redevelop to a higher and better use. Um, if I put a definitive end to the special exception, if there were no higher and better use, I, I'd lose my tenants. Um, so I, I do think they are different in a sense. Well, yeah, but so from your perspective, that's not something you can commit to. Not at this point. Okay. No. 
Thank you. Mr. Lloyd, uh, I'll entertain a question, but after that, it's up to you. I just want to make a comment. Um, yeah. I'm going to vote in favor of this proposal, and it's not, in my opinion, it's probably not ideal, but I did watch from the 1990s. They built a Walmart across the 28, and they bulldozed that and put in a Wegmans, and before that, next to the Walmart was a Best, which was there, then went out of business. They bulldozed this. These were major structures that they bulldozed just to put a, another building where this is going to be a parking lot. In the conversations that uh, went on tonight, it, it led me to believe that the enterprise will probably be there longer than you know we would expect. Uh, but at the same time, i got to lean towards the property owner that they've owned this property for 30 years. They've been paying taxes on this. They want to develop it now. Um, I don't think that we should uh, make it very difficult or, or stand in the way of them developing that. That's going to bring in more uh, income uh, to the county. So that's uh, my two cents. Thank you. Okay, Ms. Blackburn. Yeah, um, if I'm not mistaken, the one interim uh, um, application or the property you have is Bluemont Nursery, correct? Yes. And it was for 20 years or something? And I will say that and it it's was still extended there. Several, several applications extended that deadline. Right, yeah, it's um, contingent because they haven't come up with a better use yet. So it'll be a while. In, in total, all those conditions would lead to about 60 years that that use has been established there. So. Okay, um, one more confirmation. Uh, agree to one bus shelter on property, but not a second bus shelter off property. We could commit to building the second bus shelter if, if that would help move towards an approval. Okay, I think Mr. Kearse would like to trade you a off-site bus shelter for a trail. <laughs> Since we're back on the track, I'm trying to get, we're missing, we're not talking apples to apples here. What you're thinking is different than what I'm thinking based on, because you're saying you're going to come to the same point and have to cross Atlantic, and that's not what I'm saying you do. You come up Ruritan, before you go underneath Atlantic, you start paralleling Atlantic, staying on your property, right? So like where you, where you have your curb cut into your property on Atlantic, if you follow, if you created a path, it kind of follows Atlantic and goes down to Ruritan and then down to the Ruritan Club and stops. All you have to do is cross that dead-end road of Ruritan, and you're right on the established WNOD trail. It's the gravel portion that runs along the side there. So it's actually the WNOD trail that you'd be on. That's what I was trying to I'm not saying just run the trail along Ruritan and then, then rejoin it on the east side of Atlantic again. I was trying to keep it on your property, and the benefit to that is you can come off the trail and go right to your restaurants. Are, are you suggesting having a path along the PDIP portion of our property that's not highlighted in yellow right that now? Was, yes, that was part of what I was asking about earlier today, because I know that that's not part of this application, but you are the owner of it. That's, yeah, that's kind of where I was talking about going, from where your curb cut is off of Atlantic, almost like following the yellow, but don't do the bump out, down to Ruritan, down to the end of the property by the club, and at that point, all you got to do is cross the dead-end Ruritan Road, and you're right on the trail, and you have a gentle access to the paved portion of the trail. Commissioner Kears. Yep. 
I understand what you're what you're saying. Yep, right, right. In two dimensions, it looks fine, but again, Atlantic is bridging over Ruritan. So as you start, as you leave Ruritan and start trying to parallel Atlantic, you've got a significant fill slope for quite a ways through that IP IP land. So it would push that connection that you're talking about further into the site. If it you couldn't put it right along Atlantic Boulevard. Well, it doesn't have to be right along it, but somewhere within a reasonable distance on the property that would get you down to where. From when I was out there, I looked, I mean, I eyeballed it, and it, it looked, didn't look like a terrible slope to me, but then I'm not. But you don't build sidewalks. But I don't build sidewalks. <laughs> okay. So, Mr. Shield. This is a very complicated piece of geography. Um, Again, it's on Route 28. As I look at the aerial photography, I see loads of cars parked on the west side of 28. Now we're going to have loads of cars parked on the east side. I'm not really satisfied with a Class 3 buffer. I'd like to know a little bit more about a pretty fence. Uh, there are certain uh, things, the certain improvements, so to speak, that the applicant has done that I don't think are necessary in which I discussed with them when I met with them. Um, I'd like to take another look at this, and um, I, I really think it should go to a work session considering its uh, importance on one of the major uh, arteries of uh, the county. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Scheel. Um, I'm, I'm going to just pass and go to Mr. Lloyd. Mr. Lloyd, uh, do you have a motion for us? Um, actually, I double-checked, and there was a, a minor mistake that staff made. Both of these are in the Sterling District, so you can do both. Just do If you want to do them both at uh, one at a time, that's fine. If you want to just make all the uh, motions for both at the, at the same time, I think there's – I think we're – going to vote the same on both. Okay. Unless I'm, somebody would like to, before we finish, does somebody want to split the question on these and have two separate questions? Okay, so i got to go to the north and the Yeah, you yeah, have to go to both okay. applications. Okay, I'm going to start with the south. <laughs> you said Sterling. And both yeah. The um, I moved the... Okay, sorry about that. We have it correct on the staff report. Sorry. Okay, we good? Okay. I moved that the Planning Commission forward... SPEX 2017-0003, uh, special exception 2017-0004, special exception 2017-005, and special exception 2017-0007. Guilford Station South to the Board of Supervisors, excuse me, to the Board of Zoning appeals with a recommendation of approval subject to the conditions of approval dated November 20th 2017 attachment one and based on the November 28th 2017 Planning Commission public hearing staff report second uh, do you want to continue with the second uh, yeah me the, the south piece too but that was the south I'm oh, then do the north
It's only 175 pages. Yeah. Page nine. Now that you're 174 yeah. page. Okay. I move that the Planning Commission. I move that the Planning Commission ZCPA 2017-004, ZRTD 2017-004, and Special Exception 2017-0002. Guilford Station to the Board of Supervisors with a rec recommendation of approval subject to the proper statement dated November 14, 2017, the conditions of approval dated November 20, 2017, and based on the November 28, 2017 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report. Second. Seconded by Commissioner Sisley. I'd like some clarification. So as is, we're requiring them to build two bus shelters? Is that what's in the proffer? That's what's in the current statement, right? The conditions of approval require the bus shelters for the south application. Okay. And what about the trail along Ruritan? Is that one of the proffer requirements? That's a condition of approval that, that we provided for your recommendation, that they provide us trail or they give us money for the trail. Okay. I'm going to ask a friendly amendment. Uh, I would like to remove the off-site bus shelter from the proper commitment. And I would like to remove the trail along Ruritan Circle, uh, Ruritan Circle uh, as a friendly amendment. So those would not be required if we vote yes and you accept the friendly amendment. Chair Salmon, the condition was for the trail along West Church Road. It wasn't for Ruritan So, Road. okay, that's what I wanted to clarify. So there is no requirement no that was for well, the, the his Ruritan, motion does not include any any trail along Ruritan correct Ruritan okay. Road is for the north application and those would be proffers the applicant is not proffering to them okay so they are not proffering this correct okay. and the bus shelter the bus shelter is in the south application and yeah. it's a condition of approval we okay. were recommending that they provide two but you so my okay so I'm going to modify my friendly amendment to remove one off-site bus shelter from the conditions of approval on the south application. Do you accept that friendly amendment or do you want to keep that in? I accept that. Okay. Mr. Sisley uh, accepts that. So um, just for clarification, the motion is to approve, um, but will include only a uh, on-site bus shelter and not an off-site bus shelter. Is everybody clear with the motion? Um, any other comments? Mr. Kears? My only other comment is the applicant was willing to build it. Okay. I, I don't see the reason to delete it, especially since I'm not getting my trail. But okay. Anyway. Then I, then I respectfully remove my friendly amendment. We'll have two bus shelters. Let's do a straw vote. <laughs> okay. Who, who thinks we need two bus shelters? Okay. We have one. Who thinks we're okay with one bus shelter? Okay. So it sounds like we should keep in the friendly amendment. <laughs> no, okay. All right. It didn't work out, did it? Okay. Are there any other comments? Um, I'd like to say I, I'm not a, uh, I, and I told the applicant this when I met with them, I'm not super duper excited about this application. Um, I think 
it, it's going to meet what it needs to meet, which is uh, get some uh, energy and some uh, uh, some revenue, uh, and uh, get some additional uh, amenities over in this area uh, like water and sewer, so that this can be uh, marketed better um, and come up with a better vision for this area, which is what I heard from the uh, residents who live in the area. Um, I am a big proponent of uh, trails. Uh, I do use the WNOD, although it's hard to tell these days, but um, I like the fact that there is access to it. I'm not really worried about a small section that's not accessible because it is accessible pretty easily um, on the other side of Atlantic. And yes, that's a major road, but if we're gonna be putting a light in there, not too terribly worried about that. Um, the bus shelters, if there was a whole lot going on on the other side of the uh, of the road, I, I would um, be a little bit more worried about it, but I'm really not. I think um, having a bus shelter uh, near this property is a great idea. Um, having two seems like a little bit of overkill. Uh, so with that, I'll be voting in favor. Um, any other comments? Seeing none, all in favor, aye. aye. Opposed? Okay, motion passes eight to two with Commissioner <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Motion passes 7-2 with Commissioner Barnes and Commissioner Scheel against. Thank you very much. Our Thank final you. application for the night is ECPA 2017-0009, ZMOD 2017-0033, ZMOD 2017-0034, Quantum Park in the Broad Run District. Mr. Barney, welcome. Thank you, Chairman, members of the Planning Commission. We'll note the applicant has submitted the required affidavit of mailing and posting. And <clears throat> the subject property is located between Loudoun County Parkway and Waxpool Road, about three quarters of a mile north of the Dulles Greenway. And this application is a zoning concept plan amendment uh, to amend the concept development plan, or CDP, for, um, approved in 1998 for the former Verizon campus and a zoning modification to uh, reduce the minimum building setback along future Lockridge Road as well as a modification to reduce or modify landscape buffer requirements along Waxpool Road. The property is currently developed with approximately 2 million square feet of data center and office uses and has vacant areas on the north and west sides of the property. Surrounding properties are zoned industrial and approved for data center or flex industrial uses. The ZCPA area is an approximately 54.5 acre portion of the overall property, which has access from both Waxpool Road and Loudoun County Parkway existing access. And the applicant also proposes three access points from future Lockridge Road on the west side of the property. Currently, there are two unbuilt building envelopes shown on the 1998 CDP that have um, not, not yet been built. The ZCPA would uh, remove these two unbuilt building envelopes and instead replace them with an overall building envelope. This would not change the site's approved floor area ratio of 0.6, but would provide the applicant uh, additional flexibility in how the remaining non-residential floor area can be uh, distributed throughout the site. 
The revised CDP shows dedication of a 110-foot wide right-of-way for Lockbridge Road and in order to, future Lockbridge Road, I should say, in order to accommodate the full right-of-way dimension for this road, the applicant has requested a setback modification, a building setback modification uh, to reduce the requirement from 75 feet to 50 feet adjacent to Lockbridge Road. There are no staff concerns with the landscape buffer modification on Waxpool. However, staff identified an issue with the proposed building setback modification because the buildings would be 25 feet closer to future Lockbridge Road. The development would have greater visual impact on the road. Uh, accordingly, staff uh, has recommended a more robust design commitment adjacent to Lockridge. Now, as an update to the staff report, to address the issue that I just identified, the applicant has agreed to additional design commitments, commitments which I'll, I'll review briefly. Um, first, uh, zoning ordinance supplemental data center standards would apply to all permitted PDOP uses along Lockridge Road, not only data centers, and the applicant will provide uh, three of the design standards instead of the required two. Second, the applicant would increase the parking setback adjacent to Lockridge from 35 feet to 50 feet for those buildings located at the 50-foot setback line. Third, any equipment, including generators, uh, not located behind buildings would be set back at least 50 feet from Lockridge and subject to enhanced screening using materials approved by planning and zoning. And lastly, uh, fencing design for buildings within 75 feet of Lockridge uh, would also require approval by planning and zoning. Now, this is in addition to supplemental landscaping uh, that the applicant has, has previously offered along Lockridge. So in closing, staff recommends forwarding the application to the board with a recommendation of approval subject to conditions and the additional design commitments that I just mentioned. Should the Planning Commission choose to recommend approval to the board uh, of these applications, uh, it can add to its motion uh, subject to the additional design commitments as described in the staff presentation. And staff can work with the applicant to develop language for the conditions prior to the board public hearing. And this concludes the staff presentation. Thank you, Mr. Barney. Does the applicant have a presentation? I do. Again, for the record, I'm Molly Novotny. I'm an urban planner with Cooley, and I'm here with representatives from American Real Estate Partners, Greg Rolls and Michael Joyce, who uh, represent the property. The property here is outlined with the blue circle. It's largely developed, as staff said. There's nearly 2 million square feet of development built today. Waxpool Road runs along the northern property line and the eastern property line with Loudoun County Parkway on the south and future Lockridge on the west. The property is approved for a 0.6 FAR, and although there's 2 million square feet developed today, there's more than a million and a half square feet still left to be built. When the property was originally zoned back in 1988, it, it included a very detailed development plan. There were 12 building blocks and six parking garages. Ten of the 12 building blocks have been built, and five of the six parking garages have been built. So within, so there's a million and a half square feet of development left, and the only area they could be built in would be those two development pods that are unbuilt. That's the reason for the ZCPA. So what we've done is we've asked for a zoning concept plan amendment 
to remove those two unbuilt building pods and to allow development anywhere in the shaded area. That shaded area is a little more than 50 acres of the, the 135-acre site. We would also allow, that would allow us to capture that unbuilt density anywhere within that acreage, um, not just in two buildings. This is a layout of the potential development showing um, buildings along Waxpool Road on the north or on the top of the project as well as buildings along Lockridge Road. This is our second request, uh, second application that's before you. It's a zoning modification and it's to reduce the building setback for future Lockridge Road. Lockridge is shown along the left side or the um, western side of the property in blue. When the original application was, when the original zoning was approved, we provided a 90-foot reservation area of Lockridge Road and reserved that for a period of 20 years. That, ex that expert, that is set to expire next summer. And so with this application, we would extend the reservation for another 10 years and we would grant the county the whole 110-foot width. It was previously 90 foot, 90 feet of right of way. It would now be 110 feet, and we would absorb that entire additional 20 feet on our property. In exchange for that, we've asked for the 50 foot building setback, as staff said, and we've agreed to several conditions, all as staff enumerated and articulated in the staff report and the staff presentation tonight. Our uh, final application is a zoning modification along Waxpool. Road and it is to recognize that there's a hundred foot wide Dominion Virginia power easement along that road, which precludes the uh, otherwise required buffer plantings there. So we can't plant the understory trees or the canopy trees within that hundred foot easement. And so we've requested permission that we or we've agreed that we would plant additional shrubs within the easement, and then we would plant understory trees outside of the easement. But buildings along Waxpool will be set back a hundred feet because of that easement when the ordinance would only require 75 feet. And it might have been at the briefing or in meetings with commissioners, but there was a question about what Lockridge Road, where it goes. And so these two images help, help kind of identify where Lockridge starts and goes. And so the, the image in the foreground um, is my crude drawing there, but you can see the purple line aligns the property and that's Lockridge. It then turns and becomes Prentice and follows and follows that yellow line and loops all the way down to a new purple line which becomes Lockridge again, which is by the post office in the West Ellis property leading to the metro station. The image in the background is from um, a county presentation and again the colors are the same. So in the county presentation, the Quantum Park application is just off-site, it's just at the northern part. Loudoun County Parkway is that is the road that exists and then Prentice Drive runs from Loudoun County Parkway across the floodplain to connect to Lockridge and down to the metro station. So that just provides guidance. Um, and with that, we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Ms. Novotny. Are there any questions for staff or the applicant? Okay, uh, we're in public hearing. Are there any members of the public that would like to speak on the application? Going once. Where's Renz when you really need him, right? Okay, the public hearing is now closed. Uh, this is in the Broad Run District. Mr. Kearse. I move that the Planning Commission forward ZCPA 2017-9, ZMOD 2017-33, and ZMOD 2017-34, Quantum Park, to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval, subject to the proffer statement dated November 13, 2017, 
and the conditions of approval dated November 21st, 2017. And based on the findings for approval, which are listed as conclusions one through five in attachment four of the Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report and subject to additional design commitments discussed in the presentation tonight. There's a motion seconded by Commissioner Sisley. Are there any other comments? I just have one. Um, the applicant sent me a note that the building height was 60 feet. Is that codified in the proffer? I didn't see it. There's uh, not a building height proffer. Um, 60 feet is consistent with the um, uh, height limits of the, the PDOP zoning district, but there's no proffer. Right, so the PDOP zoning ordinance allows buildings to be 60 feet. If they're going to be any taller than that, they have to be set back one foot for every additional foot in height. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Other questions or comments? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 9-0. Thank you very much. Mr. Mirthew. Thank you. Uh, just a reminder of our schedule change in December. Uh, the four, uh, December 14th is our briefing. The public hearing is December the 19th. Uh, I'm not sure, Marshawn, when the packets will be coming out for the public hearing in December. Do you know? There, I think there's a 12th, scheduled for the 12th right now. 12th? Okay, so you'll have the packets uh, for the briefing. Uh, we're having dinner. Your Christmas dinner will be on the 14th after our work session. That should motivate you. Scheduled for 8 o'clock dinner. So evaluate how hungry you'll be and whether you have to eat before then. We're not bringing anything here for dinner, so you'll have to wait till eight or eat on your way. And, and that also, should motivate you for questions at that meeting. And limit limit the conversation. That's right. We have two work session items: the Ashburn uh, Child Care as well as Silver District West. will be coming in for a specific topic discussion. We're still working on what exactly that will include. Most likely schools and maybe something else. Right. We're going to go to Tuskies. Is that okay? I'm not sure if we've been there before. I think almost every 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 year but one so far. Okay. Uh, with nothing else, we are adjourned. Uh, with nothing else, we are adjourned. <laughs>